time to celebrate the good, the bad, and the ugly of motorcycle racing in 2017. Welcome to the Bike Live Awards. Let's go! Yes, this is episode 42 of Bike Live on Motorsport 101, and we round up the year that was in motorcycle racing with the Bike Live Awards as we celebrate, as I mentioned, everything that was good, bad, and indeed ugly about motorcycle racing in 2017. Uh, we'll have some prestigious awards over the case of the next two hours, such as the Rider of the Year, the Race of the Year, and the Team of the Year, as well as some of the less coveted awards, such as the Blonde Moment and indeed the Loser of 2017 in motorcycle racing. Some awards will be more coveted than others. Um, but whatever happens, we're going to have a lot of fun in the next two hours as we celebrate the year of motorcycle racing in 2017 and everything that was good, bad, and pretty much comical about it all. And I'll do so in the company once again uh, of Andre Harrison. Uh, welcome, Dre. It's time to finally bring the curtain down on this season. You're expecting someone else? <laughs> but uh, Yep, it's me. Um, and I, I, I ran out of suits for this episode, so I'm in my Christmas jumper instead. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling festive on this one and uh yeah you know this is going to be our last show of 2017 but uh hey it's been a fun time so let's just let's try and wrap it up in style yeah, and not get distracted by the darts yeah let's try it out. yeah i was about to say that in mean kind of darts fashion our first show of uh, the new year will probably be around new year's day so uh well, yeah we're not wasting any time in that one um but uh yeah if you hear some random sort of shouts of uh, delirium over the next two hours it might be because phil taylor's career has been ended um, but <laughs> that's you. That's yeah. a you problem, Lewis. Yeah, but um, I can't stand the man. Um, but anyway, it's highly, highly likely that he will still be uh, alive in the World Darts Championship by the time you hear this podcast. Um, but uh, as you'll probably hear on the next episode of Motorsport 101, darts is very much out of focus at the moment yes. with no yes. motorsport to watch. Yes. Um, we're all, all enjoying what's going on at the, the Alexander Palace at the moment. Um, but in the meantime, places you can find us, we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, uh, our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, our website is motorsport101.net, um, Dre's uh, Formula 1 season reviews will be coming to a conclusion very, very soon over there. Um, and oh, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to back us financially, earning yourself early access uh, to both this show and Motorsport 101, which will be alternating in their weeks um, over the course of the next couple of months or so, um, then back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, you might not, if you purely listen to Bike Live, you may not have noticed that since we last spoke to you, there have been two episodes of Motorsport 101. Um, Dre, just explain that first of all. We of course had the uh, Motorsport 101 awards. Um, of which I was a part of last week. But we also had a bonus episode to take place last week. Yeah, we're drunk with podcasts over here. <laughs> um, yeah, we had two shows in the space of four days, um, which was pretty, was pretty crazy, a hectic schedule. But uh, you've probably already heard them by now. But we had, obviously, the 2017 Motorsport 101 Awards. We have a certain Lewis Sutterby on the show as well um, on this one. And it is the longest show that we have ever done. Um, almost three and a half hours long, as a matter of fact. I don't quite know what we were thinking on this one. But uh, it turned out all right in the end. Um, so you can check that out. It's our full F1 2017 season review and the awards and the Hong Kong E-Pre review as well. It's it's colossal, to say the least. And in the news of the Xi Championship reveal and Carmen Jordan's 
shall we say, unfortunate elections in Women in Motorsport Committee. We got inspired and we had a five-person show uh, that went live on Tuesday, the Women in Motorsport special episode featuring me, RJ King, um, super sub Zoe Hamilton, and Elizabeth Worth making her debut as well. Um, what's that called? Our Motorsport 101's favourite inside joke. Uh, Basically, um, she made her debut on the show as well, and she was fantastic. And again, I must say a massive thanks to everybody that sent in their feedback and support. It's gone down very, very well indeed. And it's been a bit of a hot topic with uh, Jenny Gow's, um She's she done her own version of Five Live Sports. Sky Sports have had massive debates about it. So yeah, it's been a real hot topic in the last in the last few days, or you know, plus couple of weeks, you could even argue. But uh, I'm, I'm, we're really glad that it's gone down as well as it has. Well, again, we'll be back on alternate weeks now between now and Bike Life throughout. 20 early parts of 2018 as well until black season really kicks off again in february but uh, hey you got you got you've got about six hours of podcasts to keep you busy um between now and then so uh there's no excuse check, check listen and check in already on episodes 115 and 116 of motorsport 101 since our last recording so you know that's fun <laughs> we might well talk a little bit about episode 117 uh, at the end of this show um tonight um let's get on with the awards then and um we did sort of briefly speculate before we started the show that we might go all wwe no mercy from last year and put the main event on first um and announce the rider of the year since we kind of spoiled it on last week's most but one-on-one awards um but we are going to save that till the end because it is the big one. Um, but we're going to start with an award that was also kind of spoiled uh, on the Motorsport 101 Awards because a biking team won the team of the year uh, in the Motorsport 101 Awards. Um, but by no means are they the only team worthy of recognition um, in 2017. So um, let's go through the motions anyway, assuming that they, uh, they may well win this award. Uh, Dre, uh, your team of the year. Yeah, I mean, again, it's this kind of weird hyping up on the wall we've already sort of announced. But uh, <laughs> we, we, we will try and basically shithouse this in the meantime and make it seem like this is something that's worthy of hype. But um, some other honourable mentions that I think had to, we, we have to give Kawasaki in multiple acts and credit as well because they are still the pinnacle of excellence. I mean, 17 race wins as a team this year. Unfortunately, 16 didn't came out of one man, but we'll ignore that. Um, it was a good team effort, you know. Again, first and I think it was the first and second in the. Um, actually, it was first and third. I'm first saying the third, yeah. They, uh, in the, the, end. the injury to Sykes kind of. Uh, Chaz kind of ruined got that second in the end. Yeah, Chaz, 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 didn't Chaz got second in the final round of the season. He uh, he just pipped uh, Tom Sykes after Sykes crashed in Qatar. Um, but yeah, this is a team Dre that have. Yeah, they've had a fantastic season this year, largely led by Jonathan Ray. But this is a team that really has been the dominant force in World Superbikes for the last five years. Six years, you could argue. They were half a point away from winning the 2012 title with Sykes. They then won mm -hmm. the 13 title with him. They missed out on the 14 title in the final round to Gintoli and have won every other title since. This has become a Kawasaki dynasty in World Superbikes. It is a legitimate dynasty at this point. And again, like it, it's it's pretty much propelled Jonathan Ray's career to meteoric proportions as well now. But yeah, it, it goes back to Kawasaki being like the undisputed gods of, of you know, superbike conversion race racecraft and that and you know, Team Green, so to speak, have, have led the charge um for the last, you know, five, six years now. And again, it's it's just transitioned over into domestic progress as well. We've had you know, Leon has and spearhead their charge domestically as well. It all goes back to how this team has developed over the last three or four years. They are doing, you know, really, really solid work. 
um, with that. And again, like they're a team that deserves all the credit in the world that they've got, you know, a real juggernaut on their hands. And Chaz Davis is about the only man that's even been able to put a foot in the door mm. the last three years with them. So, like, they deserve credit. I mean, it's it's not the sexy pick because you know, it is a little bit lopsided as a team. And yeah, you know, they have been the dominant force. So good that Walton might have to change the rules now to try and bring them down a peg, basically. But, you know, that only cements you know, the legendary status that that team has now captured, essentially, with, you know, again, like they, they could have had five title wins in the last six years and they've been very unlucky not to have had that. And yeah, they are the gold standard in, in multiple bikes now and they will continue to be going forward. Yeah, they are. In terms of other teams that I think certainly deserve a nomination, uh, King nominated these during the Motorsport World Awards last week, but Ducati and MotoGP um, have really made an incredible step up in 2017 from a team who um, took their first win in six years midway through 2016, courtesy of Andrea Ioni in, in, in Austria. Um, this is a team that had lost the winning habit, had forgotten almost how to win uh, in MotoGP. So for them to become such regular winners to the point that they almost won the championship um, in 2017 um, was a tremendous step forward for them. And I think it very much has been a team effort for them. That not only as their rider or their lead rider, as he turned out this year, Andrea Vizioso has really moved up under several levels, but the team performance in terms of um, the way that team has been led by Davide Tardozzi and the um, leadership technically um, by Gigi Deligna, um has really sort of initiated this rise up the ranks for Ducati from um, regular podium contenders and occasional winners to championship frontrunners, uh, as they were in 2017. Um, one of the team who I also wanted to mention, who I admittedly forgot last week when we recorded the Most Spot 1 Awards, um, KTM, who deserve, they almost deserve nomination collectively for their MotoGP and Moto2 teams. But I almost think, Dre, that their two teams individually are both worthy of nomination. Their MotoGP team... Uh, came in as newcomers to the sport, were comfortably at the back of the field at the start of the year, had such a mountain to climb in entering the most stacked and high-quality field MotoGP has ever assembled, and then try and climb their way up it. Um, and by the end of the season, they were comfortably top 10 contenders at just about every weekend we went to, um, which was sensational. But equally, Dre, their Moto2 team also had that kind of challenge. They were entering a stacked class as newcomers with a brand-new bike, and by the end of the season, they were the dominant force in the class. Okay, I completely agree. That's a very good chat we didn't even consider um, during the Motorsport One Awards last week. But I think that's a very valid case you can make for both KTM's MotoGP and Moto2 teams. I mean, again, like it says a lot when Polo Spagaro burned through so many engines due to upgrades that they ended up having to start the final race of the year from the pit lane. But Mika Calio and Polo Spagaro, all, you know, again, Bradley should contributed as well, but their MotoGP team uh, showed tremendous improvement um, as yeah, as the season went on to the point where they were not bottom of the manufacturer's championship in the end, they finished ahead of Aprilia um, through sheer power of will and, and improvement and whatnot. I mean, yeah, it's it, again, they were tremendous this year. Paulus Bagger did a fantastic job leading the charge from the front. And Calio, a very valued wildcard, and I'm glad that he's came through the news last week that he's doing five wildcard appearances in 2018 because he deserves a look. He's been with that team from the very start, and a lot of people don't realise that, that he was a driving force to get to KTM where they are right now, and I'm glad he's been rewarded for it, so to speak. But as, as mentioned, the Moto2 team as well, another fantastic effort. Again, first year in the books. Um you know, a very strong team. Miguel Oliveira was riding, you know, on that podium level performances right from the start. 
and only got better as the year went on. Miguel Oliveira is, I think, he's going to be a future t- uh, team leader for years to come. He's got tremendous talent. And Brad Binder, again, got better and better once the injuries healed up and he was right on Miguel's tail all the way through. A, a great team effort. And again, those last three wins at the end of the season were no fluke. It could also be a sign of things to come. And hey, let's put it to you this way. They were so good, half the field picked up their chassis for next year. Mm. That kind of says it all, really. Yeah, entering a class that has pretty much... Calix have had to themselves uh, for the last five years, to the point really that the likes of Suter, Tech 3, um, and Speed Up in recent years have been either cancelling altogether or scaling back their involvement in Moto 2 because Calix were so dominant that they just felt it wasn't worth their while trying to beat these guys um, because they had such a monopoly on the majority of the field. So for KTM to enter this class and by the end of the season beat them, beat them handsomely three times in succession at the end of the season, twice of them or two of them were one twos um, with Oliveira and Binder that they they absolutely crushed the opposition uh, is an incredible statement for that team. And they, as you say, they are probably the favourites as a, as a constructor for Moto2 next season to the point sure. that the uh, that not only have the factory KTM team got their chassis, but also two other leading teams in that squad, Kiefer and the Interveten team that ran Thomas Lizzie last year, run Sam Lowe's next year, um, have picked up their chassis. Um, worthy nominations all, but I think we're, we're struggling, aren't we, to look past the team that won the Motorsport 101 team of the year um, last week because at the start of this season... Monster Energy had their doubts, and I think we all had the doubts, Dre, that Tech 3's rookie lineup would actually become a success. But, boy, has it been a success. Absolutely. I mean, we mentioned it on Motorsport 101, but this team was so close to losing Monster Energy as a sponsor because of the sheer vote of no confidence. Um, you know, the, 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 they rolled the dice by going with two, you know, experienced, but... Unproven rookies, you could argue, in, in the top class with, with Jonas Volga and Johan Zarco. But again, Hervé Pontreal has an eye for talent that we should never, ever, ever underestimate ever again, quite frankly, because I don't think anybody could have foreseen just how spectacular a year that Johan Zarco had. And let's not forget Jonas Volga, um, you know, pre-illness was also superb, you know, basically being the greatest threat to Marquez's win streak at the Saxon ring that we've seen in the best part of a decade. Um, you know, Jonas Vogel was fantastic and would have, in a vacuum, probably looked just as great as a potential rookie of the year if it wasn't for Johan Zarco having the best rookie season we've had since Marquez debuted four years ago. Um, it's an incredible team effort. Like, they, they could have the pillar stones of a fantastic, you know, the best independent team in the business now, so to speak. And, you know, if if, if Volga makes a full recovery, then they're going to be scoring podiums again next year. I have no doubt in my mind about that. They are super strong. Um, and, yeah, I, that's Pontrolio. You know, he took a gamble. You know, losing Bradley Smith and Paul Espagaro could hurt any team going forward, given how strong they are. But... They look just as good, if not better now, especially with Zarco, who, you know, has basically put another shot in the arm that MotoGP maybe needed in that midfield level. So, um, yeah, without question, our pick for team of the year. Um, for movie style, Yamaha Tech 3, superb mm-hmm. effort all year long. Absolutely. And, and Poncheral, as you say, rightly deserves deserves the, the praise here in that he... He's he's brave in many respects in the the faith he puts in in young riders and his and you say his ability to spot talent. Um, it goes back a number of years in that he you know he was the guy who stuck his neck out to bring Ben Spees across from World Superbikes. He stuck his neck out to bring Cal Crutchlow across from World Superbikes. Mm-hmm. The kind of move that teams just frankly don't make anymore. 
Um, Absolutely. They, they just do not decide. They, they don't decide to really stick their neck out and pick a rider out from World Superbikes and bring them across. Poncheral made that very brave judgment and has been vindicated from it. Both of those riders, although one of them, of course, is kind of his career is sort of over all those rumors of a speed has come out both of those riders have gone on to win MotoGP races um since their time uh, with tech three um it was poncheral who basically gave bradley smith the vote of confidence by bringing him into his moto 2 team and then advancing him up into MotoGP gp when there were many who doubted whether bradley smith was moto gp material at the time yeah. um can't say i was ever one of them but there were people out there who had their doubts um oh, and, yeah. and he's done it again uh, with with folger and zarko and it's very rare, Dre, that we see not just one rookie step up and make this incredible entrance to MotoGP, but two at the same time. Um, and, in, and in many respects, that is down to the environment that Poncherel creates for them. Absolutely. He, like, he, like Nobody quite backs a rider like Hervé Poncherel does. He gives them every possible if chance. You, if you compare you... that to the rookie within the Aprilia team this year, there's your <laughs> stark contrast. They couldn't wait to get him out of the team after half a dozen races. And look at Poncherel, who, you know, took a chance on Bradley Smith when he was, you know, he was still basically a one-two-five rider, and is stuck with him, you know, stuck with him for like through four years in the top flight as well. It was only through, you know, it was only year five where he said, "Listen, I've got to roll the dice on somebody else." Before he had to move on with it, but yeah, no matter which way you slice it, he backs his riders and he gives them every chance to succeed. And, you know, there was times where you could make a valid case that they could, they could have cut Bradley in 2015. You know, there was... He was he was he had a hot seat, but Hervé stuck through it, and, and Bradley found his feet again. That's something that many teams would not do. And as you mentioned, I, I'm glad you mentioned it as I was going to as well. The sheer acknowledgement of World Superbikes as a class to potentially get talent from is admirable. Something that nobody else in MotoGP seems to do, and yet you know all the talk about Jonathan Ray and possibility of being in you know, MotoGP and you know possibly moving over because of how good he is. Like of all the team bosses in MotoGP, Hervé Pontrol will probably be the only one to even give him a prayer of of going over there because you no know, teams just don't acknowledge it as a credible series anymore, which is a shame because it does have talents and he's proven that you know that yanking guys out of there like Cal Crutchlow, you know, like you know, like 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 Ben Spees as well, it's proven to have worked. So why the hell not? And yeah, well, Pontrol deserves a huge amount of credit because he's 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 running a truly excellent team and you know the best independent team in MotoGP and probably has been for two or three years now. And loosely, I suppose he kind of did that with Michael Vandermark as well this year, didn't he? Although, oh, yeah. although um, Yamaha were going to do that anyway before Valentino Rossi returned earlier than he expected um, from injury. But yeah, much much worthy uh, winners of the team of the year, uh, Monster Yamaha Tech Three, and in particular their talent spotter extraordinaire of a team boss, Hervé Poncheral. Uh, Monster Yamaha Tech 3, our team of the year. Um, up second, then, is um, one of the awards that we haven't managed to spoil in advance of this show. Um, and it's probably one of the awards that we're going to have uh, a lot of fun um, deciding. It's one of the light-hearted ones. It's the blonde moment of the year, um, which in previous years has been awarded to Alex Rince for celebrating a race victory a lap short of the finish, um, to Jack Burnicle for purely missing that a rider... Um, given that Rebecca James nominated, you can guess which rider that was, um, was missing from the grid before a race had even started. Um, that kind of gives you an idea of the bar, kind of the level of the bar that we're aiming at here. Um, so, Dre, um, to get the ball rolling on this one, uh, your blonde moment of 2017. Uh, Valentino Rossi continuing to use his ranch as a training facility. <laughs> um, 
Sorry, Valley. Um, it seems to be causing you more harm than good these days. Like, have you considered like maybe flattening it out a little bit, or maybe relocating? It's 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 just an idea. I know Yamaha get get a lot of brand work down at that track, and I know it's it, the affiliation is nice, but dude, it, it broke your leg. Yeah, <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, he broke his ribs, then broke his leg. Yeah, uh, when you said Valentino Rossi, I'll be out forty six. I thought you were going to go for the decision to employ Stefano Manzi. Um, this year, um, <laughs> but um, but no, be that as it may. Um, yeah, I've got a few. Um, two of them come from the same weekend, um, from the Catalonia Grand Prix, um, and the first of them is oh. on Friday, where um, for 2017, um, MotoGP initially was going to use a slightly different track layout with a brand new chicane at the end of the lap. It just so happens that oh, no one, had, no one had told Jack Miller, um, who decided he was going to continue using the Formula One chicane from the previous year. Um, a decision that royally entertained Mark Marquez uh, as he was sat in his garage, belly laughing at the screens um, as Jack Miller continued to go down the wrong circuit entirely. Um, so funny to the point that for the first time I've ever recalled, Drake, we saw a rider disqualified from a practice session. He was black flagged from the session and told to come back in because he was going through the wrong racetrack altogether. And Loris Capriotti had to have a word with him in the garage to tell him what he was doing. Um, the other one from that weekend, though, and, and this is one rider who we probably weren't expecting to be nominated for this award, uh, but it is Mark Marquez, um, who oh. came in to uh, change bikes during the morning warm-up, um, just basically to try, try different setups from bike one to bike two. Um, yet, for some, one of the moments of the season, as he tried to change from one bike to another, Marquez pro- proceeded to trip over his own starter motor and fall over um, in the pit lane um, as he went to get on his bike. Oh. Um, just a hilarious moment for Mark Marquez, and to his credit, he's he's a rider who, perhaps more than anyone else in this sport, has an ability to laugh at himself um, in MotoGP that many many others don't. Um, and I'm pretty sure Marquez um, sort of gave a little nod to that by falling over on the podium later on that day um, as a sort of <laughs> nod to what he'd done. Um, if I was to give a more serious one though, Dre, um, the blonde moment, one of the other blonde moments of the year, British Superbike's decision to run race three at Silverstone, because I still oh. don't understand that one at all. That was the... We've got, we got to send the fans home happy, y'all. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, when Christian Iden crashes in a straight line and robs him of a showdown spot, you probably shouldn't have ran that race. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, as we mentioned in the show before, it stopped being a race around lap three. Um, it became a matter of, Keep your bike upright, otherwise you're not finishing. Um, and yeah, it, it, it pretty much stopped being a race at that point. Um, and yeah, it was a, I think it was a terrible decision. It was a dangerous decision. Um, a ton of riders crashed who you know didn't need to have a crash, or you know it could have been avoided with simply red flagging the race and waiting for conditions to improve. And yeah, it cost Christian in the showdown spot and a guy, you know, I think would have been fantastic to have in the showdown and we never got him because it, it was a, it was a mind boggling decision um, to, to run that race in the first place. And uh, yeah, like I think that was one that is a definite qualifier. So uh, Stuart, if you're listening, unlikely as that is, don't do that again. <laughs> yeah, don't do that again. It, it was just, it be, as you say, it became farcical to the point that only, what, seven riders finished the race? Or, yeah, I think it was or, six or seven. Or, yeah. or, or seven riders were running when they called it at two-thirds distance. Um, so that that just goes to show that there's still a third of the race to go. So who's to say that those seven would have still been on, on their two wheels and still running um, when the checker flag came out? We could have had a repeat of that race. Where was it in on four wheels? Was it Sepang this year, a race where there were no finishes? 
um, in one yes. of the sport races at the Formula One weekend. We could easily have had that uh, in BSB. Um, just purely farcical to the point that you just knew, didn't you, Drake? Well, the moment that they called it immediately with two thirds distance, pretty much illustrated what the sort of motivations were of British Superbikes. They were just basically saying, "Let's just get. We know this is too too dangerous because as soon as it gets to two thirds distance, we're calling this." Yeah, like you could see, like I was like, "Okay, they haven't called it yet. They haven't called it yet." I was like, "Okay," and I said on Twitter at the time, "I was like, okay, they're gonna wait till lap eleven and pull the red flag, aren't they? Because they'll give out full points." Like, I get it, I get it, I get why they did it. They wanted, they 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 didn't want the quote unquote regular season to end on a half point finish. I understand that because obviously there was obvious showdown implications there, but. I'm sorry, the entertainment of your series should not be taken priority over the safety of its riders. And, like, for me, I think they deserve the award because this was... this. I, I was watching with my head through my hands through half of that race because you could see everybody was crashing. Like, it says a lot when two-thirds of your field are in, are in the gravel trap at some point. And Silverstone's not the safest track in the world as it is. Mm. Um, and one one of the riders uh, who was actually chasing a showdown spot in that very race, Luke Mossy decided mm. it was too dangerous to even go for it. He decided, you know what? This isn't worth it. I'm pulling in. As wise a decision as that was from Luke Mossy, it says a lot where riders, bike riders, who are often the most fearless people in all of motorsport, if Luke Mossy, who, again, had and still had an, a decent chance at the showdown, is pulling out of a race because, hey, it's not worth it, then you need to look at, you need to look at the situation and go, hey, if riders are not willing to take part, it probably isn't worth running. Mm-hmm. And sadly, that, that decision did not come, and then BSB prioritised getting a finish over the safety of its riders, and I thought that was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a winner uh, of this one. <laughs> uh, an award that we were expecting to be uh, giving out for uh, comedic value. We've actually been quite serious on it. Um, yeah. BSB um, win it for their decision to run that third and uh, showdown deciding race at Silverstone the, uh, the most bizarre spectacle of arguably of the year um, when it basically resembled uh, the more like the boat race than it did a British superbike mm-hmm. race um, kind of um, farcical stuff up next then um, is an award that really in many ways just celebrate everything that was good about motorcycle racing in 2017 because there have been some fantastic battles um, in 2017 uh, on track some that have spanned over the entire season, some on one particular given day. Um, the battle of the year. Um, uh, and I've got three um, that, that stand out to me. The first of them, or certainly the first that happened chronologically in the year, was at Le Mans. Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi. Um, and the, mm. for the first real battle head-to-head, Dre, between these two on track. Um, Val- Maverick Vinales had dominated the early stages of the season. Ma- Ma- Valentino Rossi had led the championship early on, but more because he'd sort of being consistent in scoring podium positions without actually looking like he had the pace to ever win a race. Um, he was kind of sort of going under the radar and just totting up the points early on. Um, but this was the first time that we really saw these two battle on track. And given how strong Yamaha were at the start of the season, we thought this was going to be a championship-defining battle. So we did, yeah. I mean, again, this, this, could, this could have been it, quite frankly. You know, the, the possibility of... Yeah, um, uh, uh, yeah. Like after three or four races, we were looking like, okay, Yamaha could run the table here. And you know, Maverick was you know shot out of the traps. You know, Valentino Rossi was being his usual, maybe not quite got the ultimate speed he used to have, but he was still you know able to to dominate and you know and still able to take control of the championship. Um, 
turns out, you know, it, it, we, we got an, an epic, epic fight where Maverick and Rossi were on roughly the same sort of pace at Le Mans. And of course, Johan Zarco was there too, who probably found an extra half second from the home fans. Um, and hey, we got arguably one of the, like, the best battle of 2017 on track between the, between the three of them. Johan Zarco forgot led portions of that race. Maverick was up the front. And, you know, they were racing so hard. We, we, basically, they were able to leave Zarco a little bit behind. And, well, sadly, Rossi cracked. We were robbed of a last, maybe a last corner dive bomb in the days of Rossi and Jim and Al of old um, because Rossi had, had fallen with three corners to go. And, yeah, dramatic as you like on that one. But uh, it was an incredible fight. You know, it led to Maverick's, you know, third and final race victory of 2017, which is crazy to yeah, say. I, know, was I still can't believe that was his last win back in May of the season. And it, yeah, and yeah, the, it, the double error from Valentino Rossi on the last lap, because Rossi had done all the hard work in many respects. He, he was the one who chased down Vinales in that mm-hmm. race, because Vinales was ahead of Rossi throughout. Rossi began to set fastest laps, overhauled Vinales, and led on to the final lap by some what, six-tenths of a second at the start of the final lap. And Maverick Vinales went down on to pull on, pull out the fastest lap of the Grand Prix and a lap record to beat him uh, on that mm-hmm. last lap. Um, a, a lap that pushed Valentino Rossi essentially into an error halfway on the final lap down at the uh, Garage Ver corner um, as they go into the back straight. Rossi overshoots it, lets Vinales back through and crashes again down at the Blue S's up the end, back end of the lap, trying to get back on terms with him. And it was... It was really the moment that signaled the end, arguably, of Valentino Rossi's title hopes for the year because his season never really recovered from that, even though he did go on to win a race at Assen later that year. Uh, but an extraordinary moment. It felt like a real turning of the tide within Movistar Yamaha as well as the championship. But obviously events later in that season have kind of um, made it redundant in many respects because Rossi kind of got on terms with Vinales as the year went on. As the Yamaha got worse, Rossi seemed to claw himself on terms with Vinales as the season went on. And, of course, they weren't, in the end, fighting for the championship. And uh, the championship battle has the um, kind of starring role in my two other battles of the year, Dre. One of them is the Australian Grand Prix. All of it. Um, was, Everything. Was, was a battle in itself. I think it was, was called, the MotoGP social media called it the Island Battle. Um, and in many ways, it was. It was just extraordinary from start to finish. Just no holds barred racing uh, between several of the best riders in the world. Marquez... Zarco, Rossi, Vinales, uh, Jack Miller was involved in it, Andrea Noni was involved in it. Um, it was an absolute thriller. It's a race we'll come on to later on. Um, but without wanting to prejudge what you have written down, I think we're probably both going to be agreed that whether it's one particular battle, be it Austria, be it Japan, the season-long battle between Mark Marquez and Andrea Davizioso has been nothing short of outstanding. Yeah, this, like, between those two, and this is exactly what I had for, 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 for what it's worth, yeah, I, I, I can't argue with this one at all. This this was everything great about MotoGP in, in the, that was the story of 2017, a story of, you know, arguably the greatest bike racing season you've ever had. But this, it was headlined for, by, by Marquez and Divizioso. That was the story that came through. Marquez looking as good as you've ever seen him as the complete package on a motorcycle, you know, really taking the step forward from, okay, the guy that, you know, has more upside than anybody and the guy who was the man to beat in the second half of 2017, just ultra consistency, rapid pace. Yeah, the occasional crash in qualifying, but he was a a complete weapon and the most complete I think we've ever seen, Marquez. And Dovi, the the, the journeyman, veteran who had been around for, you know, 10 years now in the top flight, 
but had never even had a sniff of a championship. And the greatest thing you could say about Ducati as a team and Dovi as a rider was that them winning was no longer a surprise by the, by the summer break. Um, you know, Dovi was incredible this season. And the, 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 the two biggest fights, obviously Austria, which looked like a nailed-on Ducati win and turned into the, arguably the best on-track scrap of the year between, you know, Marquez and Davizioso in a fight that literally went down to the final corner. Um, and again, like Marquez riding out of his skin to even make a fight out of it. Um, and on the other end of the coin, again, Bategi, another one that was incredible, a fight that Marquez looked like he had it in the bag, but basically gave Dovi half a chance. The kind of fight you very rarely see in a wet race. Exactly. And again, like just Dovi being able to find a little bit more on the breaking and yeah being able to turn it into an incredible victory and yeah these two raced each other hard but raced each other fair and with the maximum of respect there was there was there was handshakes all round, and that was the overriding theme of this fight respect um between you know the two best riders on the planet right now and dovi making the step up against a juggernaut of a rider in mark marquez who was just able to come through when it mattered most and that, for me, is the story of the 2017 season and, for me, the, the battle of the year. Um, 93 versus 04 was, was, I think, the most overriding complete factor of 2017 and it was a joy to watch on and off the track. Absolutely. Couldn't agree uh, more with every word of that. As you say, the, the fact that it was built so, so much on respect, the respect between the two riders, um, I think was what really made this season um, for me because it, it, it's so rare that we see that and in many ways, you always think to yourself, "Oh, a, a championship is better off when there's a bit of needle, when there's a bit of um, a bit of sort of ill feeling between the two. Of course, the battle between Rossi and Lorenzo in 2015, um, one of the most talked about MotoGP races ever. Um, towards the back oh, end yeah. of that season, certainly the the Sepang race was probably the most talked about afterwards, and the Valencia race was the most talked about before it. Um, yeah. Given what what was riding on it, and you know the the way that race transcended its sport, you know, no one can ever deny that. And in many ways, it was the the bitter, bitterness between the two and, of course, the um, starring role that Mark Marquez played in it all that made that what it was. Um, but in many ways, there's there's a lot to be said, Dre, for a battle that's built on respect. I mean, let's be fair. If we're talking about other sports, one of the great sporting occasions of this year was Anthony Joshua and, and Vladimir Klitschko, and that was built entirely on respect. Right. It was, exactly. I mean, it, it, I mean... Boxing, mixed martial arts in general as a sport has gone down the road of trying to be pro wrestling and how it often trash how it's used to come up. Trash talking, you know, let, let's deliberately put these guys in a dark room and have them say words at each other. That'll help sell this fight. <laughs> and we don't, and as sports fans, I don't think we really buy it as much as we used to anymore. I mean, even Conor McGregor was starting to grate on people before the time the Mayweather fight came around earlier this year. But yeah, as you say, Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko was arguably one of the biggest sporting highlights in British sport of the year 2017 probably win Joshua Sports Personality of the Year next weekend yeah I mean look at the book he's always doing Joshua was a heavy friggin' favourite but um, yeah like no matter which way you slice it like that 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 was a feud built entirely on respect. There was no trash talking. There was, you know, no level of disrespect shown. Like Vladimir was like, "Hey, I'm ex I'm excited to be an underdog for the first time in my career." And you know, Joshua was it was reveling in the chance to put down a legend. And you know, we ended sometimes up. Sometimes the sport is so good it sells itself. 
Exactly. And that's something that I think a lot of people underestimate. The power of, you know, marketability and just the fact that, hey, you know, maybe this sport can sell itself. And that was the beautiful thing about Marquez versus Davizioso and MotoGP in general. The on-track action said all you needed to say about it. You didn't need hype pieces. You didn't need Valentino Rossi bringing a timesheet into a press conference on a Thursday afternoon to say, hey, watch this. I think Marquez is cheating, um, etc." And, you know, we don't need that to sell a sport. Like, if the sport is great and captivating, it sells itself. And that's all that needs to be said, really, on this one. And that was the beauty of Marquez versus Davizioso. It was pure racing um, and sportsmanship um, at its finest. And that's what made it so great. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it was the perhaps the best story of 2017, the, the story that captivated us around MotoGP this year. And it is our Bike Live battle of the year in 2017, Marquez versus Davizioso, essentially their battle for the world championship because it's pretty difficult to choose between Austria and Mateki. They were both, they could both win the award in their own right, the two separate battles on track, but their battle over the course of the season um, was sensational to watch. Um, up next then, the award that I have to say, Dre, I found the hardest to decide on and I still haven't decided on it because I've got so many different nominations for it. Um, Go on. The, the ride of the year, um, the best one-off performance um, that we've seen in, in 2017. Um, so many to pick from for me that I, I'm diff- really finding it difficult to, to choose between them all. Um, I, I'll rattle through a few of them. The first of them that I've got, the one that immediately sprung to mind when I just thought of this, before I actually looked back through the season to try and jog my memory, the one that immediately sprung to mind was Jake Dixon at Alton Park. Um, it, yes. In BSB, where he, he his bike, I think he crashed it in the warm-up or something. He, he damaged his bike yeah. to the point that he couldn't actually get out on track for the dummy grid, so he, I think he qualified on the front row of the grid and was going to start from the front of the grid. Ended up having to yep. start from the pit lane um, mm-hmm. at the back of a 31-bike field and came through to finish fourth um, in an astonishing race that I believe was rain-affected, wasn't it, as well? It wasn't exactly the easiest of yeah, conditions that he was dealing track. with. Um, and for this 21-year-old kid who, I mean, you can arguably mention his, his ride at Knock Hill for this as well. Um, a rider, Dre, that really had a breakout season in 2017 to Jake Dixon and Alton Park, arguably the highlight. Absolutely. I mean, Alton Park, I mean, the way he came, he scythed through that field in, in magnificent fashion. And this was a guy that was competing for the world championship, obviously on, on, on a level because he was in the showdown and this was a critical round. And, you know, like he, he, he did make a mistake in the warm up, and he, he had to make the most of a, of a limited, rare, limited track time, slippery track. And to go through the field and to finish in fourth was, Phenomenal. And again, like the cherry on top for what was uh, a magnificent season, you know, for, um, for for Jay Dixon, a real coming of age year. We um, forget he's slowly 21 years old and, and he was so impressive this year in the way he handled himself. And this was probably the pick of the bunch. Quite against uh, one of the best riders in British bike history, who is literally twice his age. Uh, and twice his level of experience too. It was an astonishing, astonishing ride from Jake Dixon. He is here to stay. Maybe not here in British shores to stay, but he's certainly going to be a a champion of the future, either in British championships or on the world stage, because I believe he is that good. Um, I've got a few other nominations. Um, Keenan Safwoglu's ride in Qatar for very different reasons. Um, The way he came back from a horrendous injury, where he shattered his pelvis in four places um, at Magni Court, came back to ride for the world championship um, at LaSalle in World Supersport and finished on the podium, having set the lap record. Um, was extraordinary, just an extraordinary levels of bravery and just heart and courage 
um, from Keenan Safoglu on that one um, for, for that. Um, I've got three nominations from Moto3. Um, again, all for very different reasons. Joan Mir, um, his ride in Valencia at the final round of the season, um, where he dropped down to 20th on the uh, opening couple of laps and then sliced his way back through the field to finish second uh, at a circuit that you frankly cannot overtake around. Mm-hmm. Was, was extraordinary. Um, one of the forgotten great rides of the year, Jaume Messias' debut ride in Austria. Um, oh, yes. On debut um, from the Junior World Championship for the Platinum Bay Real Estate team, where he basically walked into a championship that he'd never raced in before, around a circuit he'd never raced in before, set the lap record, ran as high as second at one point, and was kind of unlucky to finish down in ninth. Um, but even if he'd just finished ninth in that race with none of what had gone on before it, we'd still be talking about it as an extraordinary piece of riding from a complete rookie to the class. Um, and the other Moto3 nomination is Romano Fanati at Mizano, um, where he completely destroyed the field in wet conditions, winning by over half a minute um, in, in just the, the worst conditions that perhaps they raced in all year. Um, and the level of consistency he showed in that race as well, um, where he just pretty much lap after lap continued to set the same lap time. Lap after lap in conditions that really you're not supposed to do that in. Um, it was no. incredible. Uh, and one final nomination. This one comes from MotoGP. Um, and Dre, this one um, certainly deserves a nomination. It's probably one of the standout MotoGP rides of the season. Um, the way Mark Marquez, frankly, made them all look silly in flag-to-flag conditions at Bruno. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed Marquez is king. As I've said many a time on this show this year, yes, um, Bruno... I mean, how often do you win a MotoGP race by 20 seconds? And it's only through the genius of Marc Marquez. And, you know, not like slipping to the back of the field, knowing his tyres were shot, first guy to change bikes, goes out there, completely obliterates the field in dominant fashion to the point where he was able to get back ahead of Johan Zucker before he even got into change bikes himself. Um, it, was, uh, it was one of those humiliating performances for everybody else in the field. Um, and yeah, he wiped everybody. He wiped the floor of everybody on that one to the point where it's it's, it's terrifying. And yeah, and, and, and yet another reason why Marquez is the best rider on the planet. He is the undisputed king of flag to flag races. He's won every single one of them since its rule came into effect in 2014, and it shows because he just has a level of nous that you know no reasonable 24 year old should have. Quite frankly, I would know being 25 myself. Yeah. Yeah. A, a very credible nomination indeed. Nothing, nothing illustrates that level of nous quite like the uh, the story that he uh, he backed up later on in the year that he genuinely his, his softest rear tire was shot so he was pitting anyway but having made that decision to pit with a couple of corners to go he decided to let through a number of his key rivals just so they didn't see him pitting um, right which was extraordinary who thinks to do that. Um, in the middle of a Grand Prix to decide, you know what, I'm coming up pit lane, so to make sure none of these follow, to make sure to throw these guys off the scent and make sure that they don't follow me in the pits, I'm going to let them all through because I'm going to win the time back once I get back out there on slick tyres. Um, just yep. an extraordinary way, an extraordinary process he goes through in his brain um, that, frankly, no other rider does. No other rider thinks of that. Um, and in many ways, that's what sets Mark Marquez apart as an extraordinary talent in, in motorcycle sport these days. Um, but uh, in terms of the ride of the year, Dre, any others you want to throw in? No, I think you've got pretty much every base I wanted to think of covered. So um, which, which one do you want, Lewis? <laughs> well, do you want me to break, I, I, me I, to break the time? I, well, for me, I, I've narrowed it down in my head to um, Marquez and Dixon uh, as my two. I mean, Keenan Safoglu deserves a mention just for the pure bravery of it all. 
Um, he had no pelvis. He had, for yeah, God's he sake. was being held together. What was what was the phrase you used? It was being held together by by sticky tape, essentially. Yeah, by spitting Kleenex. Yeah, spitting yeah Kleenex. essentially. Yeah, um, and and yeah, he went on to you know then to try and win the world championship. Those were the lengths that Keenan Safoglu was prepared to go to um, in that race, and the fact that he finished on the podium and set the lap record as he did so um, was was incredible. Um, for me, though, it's between um, the young pretender Dixon and the the master Mark Marquez. What do you reckon? Oh, I get to break the time pick. Oh, this is tricky. Um, Jake Dixon did that, knowing that a crash would probably end his 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 chances of winning the title from the pit lane. Mark Marquez made a complete mockery of the of the best field of riders in the world. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it to Jake Dixon on this one, and the reason why is that I feel that you know that those were horrendous conditions. Like, like sometimes having, like, slippery conditions are arguably worse than having it fully wet because you never quite know how far to push. And Dixon did that knowing that his showdown was, was it, that his showdown and his, his title chances were at stake. And it was arguably more impressive than his double victories earlier on in the season at Knock Hill. So, you know, we've seen this before from Marquez. I had not seen a ride in BSB quite like that since before that, since I started watching the series again full time. So for me, I'm going to go with Jake Dixon at Alton Park for our ride of the year. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Jake Dixon race one Alton Park, our ride of the year. And uh, yeah, he is a rider that we're going to hear an awful lot about on this show in years to come. Um, as he moves up the ranks in British Superbikes, surely a title contender um, next year. Um, up next then, an award that I'll have to be honest, I did not find difficult at all um, on this one. Um, but well, let's let's go through it anyway. Let's see who we come up with. Because in fairness, there are many, many potential contenders for this one, but one stood out head and shoulders above the rest for me. Um, but I'm keen to hear what you think about this, Dre. Who's your most improved rider of 2017? Most improved rider? Well... It's hard not to say Jake Dixon for one. That's that's a definite contender for me. Um, again, again, from nowhere to youngest showdown runner in BSB history is one that deserves mention. I think Jonas Volga um, deserves a mention as well on this one, given that, again, he was a guy that probably had quite a negative reputation going into this season. A questionable pick when it was first announced when he got the tip. Because he got that tip free announcement early on, just before Le Mans in 2016. Everyone was like, Hmm? Really? <laughs> yeah, like he went for Volga, and he's obviously since gone on to proven that yeah, he's more than ready for the big time. Um, quite frankly, um, I want to give a shout out to Alvaro Bautista. I know Stefan Bowen is on Twitter mentioned his name as well, and I think he's definitely a worthy shout. I mean, he's come full circle from his times at Honda when he, he looked like at one point the, like the top independent rider. He, f- he fell out by the wayside alongside Scott Redding, but he's come back and he's led that Aspar team to some very strong results um, all the way in. But, I mean, given that the most improved rider is basically the breakout star of the year award in, in essence as well, how can it be anybody other than Johan Zarco? I mean, mm. we already mm. we already thought he was good. This year proved that he is great. Um, and, yeah, like... I know it's hard to say you've improved from winning a world championship the previous year, but let's not forget, Zarko's 2015-2016 title defense wasn't a cakewalk by any stretch. I mean, Thomas Luti was wearing him down towards the end, and then by the end of that season, Frankie Morbidelli was raising more and more eyebrows as well um, on that one. 
Um, so it's tough for me out of those guys. I mean, what, what did you have on the list? Uh, well, this is tough because I had none of those. Um, but yeah, I had four names and there were none of those four. I, I, I want, this is one that I don't think is going to win this one, but I wanted to mention him. Jorge Martin. Um, from, yes. From 2016 where he basically sank without trace on that god awful Mahindra. Um, Peko Banyaya was the only rider able to make that work last year. Uh, he won races mm-hmm. on it. It's easy to forget that Jorge Martin was his teammate, um, and we never saw him on the same bike. Um, I think you could argue that you could nominate the two lower-class champions, Joan Mir, um, who, oh, who yeah. won one Grand Prix um, last year, but went on to win um, 10 of them this year. But arguably, that's the improvement you would expect for a rider in his second full season in the class. Um, maybe not to that extent. It's an exaggerated version, but you expect riders to improve at that level um, at such a young age. Um, but equally, Franco Morbidelli in Moto2 hadn't won a race at all last year um, before moving up um, into um, Moto2 or before um, moving into 2017. He'd had a number of podiums back in the last year, um, but not quite taken the win. Um, so mm-hmm. he deserves a mention as well. Um, but I think we're going to have a hard time deciding this one because when you said, I f- how could it be anyone but, I wasn't expecting you to say Joan Zarco because from my point of view, I know this guy's a bit older, but... How can it be anyone but Andrea De Vizioso? It's um, a good point. Who, <laughs> who, who, I mean, very, it's very rare that we see a rider make a noticeable step up um, in their level. Oh, yeah. In that we thought, genuinely, we thought Andrea De Vizioso had peaked as a rider. Um, we thought we'd reached a point with Andrea De Vizioso in sort of 2016 where he won that race in Malaysia. It was the feel-good moment. It was, oh, Andrea De Vizioso's won a race again. Um, you know, he deserves that. He's the workhorse. And in 12 months, Dre, he has made that noticeable step up from we no longer perceive him as the workhorse. We perceive him as one of the aliens, don't we? Absolutely. And yeah, like that was kind of a, an oversight on my part on that one. But yeah, I will happily let you have Andrea Davizioso on this one. Absolutely. As, as most improved. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was too good to consider for that award. But then, <laughs> I, I, then I didn't need to give Zarco. Whoops. Um, more on him later. But um, yeah, Andrea Davizioso, like I guess he had, he had two career top flight wins going into this season and he left with eight. I mean, a six win season, a year where... He was, you know, a, a yeah, he the, arguably the greatest single threat Marcus has had for a title since twenty four since, since maybe twenty fifteen a couple of years ago, and the bike just wasn't there for him. But you know, from an individual threat for Dovi to push Marquez to the final round, and again, spearheading and basically just changing the entire culture of a team that had just spent big money on Jorge Lorenzo, thinking, hey, Lorenzo will take us over the top, and then and ends, ends up being proven wrong. For the fact that Dovi was able to lead the team and spearhead it going forward and turn it into, you know, a team that could challenge for the title on, on you know, on you know, in terms of the manufacturers and riders championship, uh, where Lorenzo was the one that struggled instead. I mean, Dovi took that ticket from took it from the front, rolled with it, and well, yeah, he was ended up being one of the most captivating protagonists we've ever seen in MotoGP from a title fight standpoint. So. Yeah, I can't argue with that in the slightest in hindsight. Yeah, Andrea Divizioso for most improved because um, what an incredible season he's had. Incredible. And it's it's amazing how you look at all of the key riders in MotoGP and how they all have their different sort of personas or the way they're perceived. Mark Marquez is this electrifying, incredible, almost stunt rider, like the way he saves so many of these near crashes on his knee. Um, and his, 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 his skill in conditions like the conditions we discussed at Bruno that other riders simply cannot match. 
Valentino Rossi, who's this this fearsome uh, opponent on track. He's got all the experience in the world, and um, it's so difficult to beat, as Daniela Petrucci saw at Assen. And then you go to someone like Davizioso, who is almost your thinking man's racer, isn't he? And he's probably, Dre, the most intelligent rider in MotoGP these days. To say the least, I mean, he nobody mastered these Michelin tires quite like he did um, this season. I mean, those some of those low grip races like Catalonia, where he made it look so easy in the way he scythed up Danny Pedrosa and Marquez, and you know was able to lead from the front. And again, he won in all conditions, you know, all sorts of territorial situations, whether it be a pack race, whether it be a, a low grip race, whether it be a high grip race. Whether it be on the dry or in the wet, he found a way to win on, on almost every conceivable circumstance, and he did it. Um, so yeah, he, he was superb, and every question we asked of Davizioso, he answered it. And again, he had again a level of nous that maybe only Mark Marquez could match out there. He, you know, had he he, he answered. Yeah, he answered every question. He, you know, he used his brain on many occasions, and that's what stood out in some of those victories that he had this year. So. Yeah, a, a thinking man's rider and one that's, you know, ultimately led to very, very great things all the way through. So, yeah, Davizioso, fantastic rider once again. Again, this was the, the market step up that he deserved, most improved without question. Yeah, and, and from my point of view, the, the win at Silverstone really stood out for me in that he had to he had to think his way through that one. And I mentioned this on our season review a couple of weeks ago in that very few people really thought Davizioso had a chance, even on the morning of the race, to win that Grand Prix. Uh, in that there were so many other riders to be practice and qualifying who appeared to have the pace in dry conditions to win that day, like Mark Marquez, like the two Movistar Yamahas, um, like Cal Crutchlow, who was having a great weekend in the in the in the um, in his home Grand Prix, and we kind of overlooked Dovi in that we we didn't expect him to have the pace to to go with those guys um, in a dry race, but he did it, and as soon as Mark Marquez's engine went pop, and that presented him with an opportunity to really put a real big dent in Marquez's championship hopes. Dovi went out there and took it. And that was all. That was another step up that he made in that so many times in recent years, Dovi was the nearly man, particularly in races in Qatar, where he would just get beaten by a Yamaha rider, invariably, um, at the end of a Grand Prix. Um, but in this one at Silverstone, where opportunity presented itself and Dovi went out there and took it. There was there was no two ways about it. He was going to go out there and seize that opportunity like world champions do. Um, and in many ways, it was, it was one of those kind of like how we alluded to before with the, the battle between the two, which was built on respect. It was almost like you didn't want to see one of them lose it um, at the end of the season. They kind of both, in many ways, deserved to be the champion at the end of the year because they both put so much into this year. Um, and Andrea De Vizioso um, certainly deserves his fair share of praise for that. And yeah, as you say, he is the well-deserved, most improved rider of 2017. To the point, Dre, that we now perceive him differently, don't we? We no longer look at De Vizioso as um, the, the feel-good story, the guy that we're happy to see at the front. Um, and there's every reason to suggest that this isn't just going to be Dobby's golden year. This is the new Dobby, and that new Dobby could quite easily win the title next year. Exactly. I mean, he's up there with the bookies and whatnot as well, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's no longer a coincidence. For some reason, the bookies have Jorge Lorenzo as a bigger favourite. I don't know what crap they've been smoking. <laughs> really? But, um, but but yeah, like Lorenzo's second favourite for the title. Like, yeah, amazingly. Like, uh, yeah, it's a quick side note here. Yeah, Mark Marquez is odds on 10 to 11 to win next year's title, which is startling in its own right. That's like, that's like Golden State Warriors level of we think we're going to dominate here, basically. But but uh, Jorge Lorenzo is 5 to 1. Ahead of Maverick at 6 to 1, and then Dovi at 13 to 2, which kind of says it all, really. Like, you know, they really think Lorenzo is still the dude. 
But um, yeah, by any stretch, like, I, I, like, how could Dovi be anything other than second favorite for this title? Because, like, he curb stomped Jorge Lorenzo last year. You guys suddenly think he's going to leapfrog him? Like, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And even towards the end of last season, in critical moments, Lorenzo bottled it like it's a pan where he opened the door for Dobby to beat him. Um, so, like, I don't know what more Dobby's got to do to prove that he's an, he's an alien-level rider, but maybe people vote with their wallets. Like, what can I say? Mm. But, um, yeah, like, I don't see how any, I don't see how Dobby can not be taken seriously as a title threat anymore because he's he's been unbelievable, um, to say the least. Absolutely, we look forward to seeing what he can do next season. Of course, what Ducati do next season? Because in many ways, the the hopes of Lorenzo and Vizioso will hinge on Ducati and what improvements they can make in uh, particular around the faster circuits like Phillip Island, where their hopes really did crumble um, towards the end of this season. So, Andrea Vizioso is our most improved rider of the year. Now to the moment of the year. Not to be confused with the blonde moment, which of course was to uh, highlight some of the more embarrassing moments over the course of the year. This is really for the standout moment, the moment that really um, stands out to us over everything else in 2017, Dre. And uh, I mean, there have been plenty across all the championships we cover um, here on Bike Lab on Motorsport Auto 1 throughout the year. But if, if, you, if it was possible to pick out one or if you've got a few that stand out to you, what would be your moment of 2017? Oh, I've got a few here, man. I have Joanne Mir at, at Aragon basically turning it into an episode of Ski Sunday. Oh, yes. uh, that, that, that was great. Um, gosh, again, Mark Marquez at Bruno deserves a mention. That was a landslide victory in a sport that often doesn't have them. Um, there's, there's, there's so many I could pick out because MotoGP's been so spectacular this year, to say the least. Um, you know, Frankie Moore, but then he's had some great moments in Moto2 as well this year. We've had some classics where that's concerned. Um, Chaz Davis crashing at Aragon race. One of them was a big one as well. That's not going to be talked about in the grand evenings, but like Aragon, Davis crashing at Aragon was uh, alarming, to say the least. But um, for me... I think I mentioned it before on another places on Twitter that I think Johan Zarco leading the opening round in Qatar is my overall pick here because, I mean, nobody would have given Zarco a prayer of leading the race, but he was leading that race by several seconds when he crashed and everybody was still, like, just taken aback by the gumption and just sheer ballsiness of Zarco riding the nuts off that Tech 3 to put it where he did before he... You know, awfully crashed and would have been robbed a, a, a rookie victory in his first year in which would have been the thing for the first time since like Max Biaggi that that had happened so you know we were robbed of history but for me that kind of set the tone for 2017 really in MotoGP so for me um, I would go with Johan Zarco leading at Qatar as my moment of the year because hey if you need something to describe this 2017 season I don't think you can think of a better moment than that for me quite frankly <laughs> yeah I had that one written down as well and um, the, the sheer shock of, of all of us as we were watching that on social media thinking hang on Zarco's leading this one and he's pulling away from them on his debut in MotoGP people just don't do that 
Um, and it, it's still one of my big regrets of the season, not just the fact that he crashed in that race, but that Zarco did not win in 2017, because I think he, he so badly deserved a victory um, for everything that he put into 2017. Um, we'll come back to him in a moment, but this was another that I found so difficult um, to, to pick between. Um, there were three main contenders. I've got another that was more light-hearted, but um, remember the chaos the moment of the moment of madness on the opening lap of the moto 3 race at le mans where a third of the field go down the oil patch yeah at the at uh, the first right hander after the chicane where i think adam norridin goes down on the first lap with four other riders and then continues off back to the pits with fluids dropping from his bike and then as they come round on lap two it was almost like they turned the sprinklers on and they all went down um, basically a third of the field all into the same gravel trap so they had to red flag the race um, just a moment one of those moments that just went viral um, on social media afterwards it was an extraordinary moment um, but for the three that I struggled to choose between Zarko in Qatar was one of them um, the other two um, Mark Marquez's remarkable save that essentially won him the title in Valencia um, which I mean he, he does this so often in, in many ways so it's almost not a surprise but the still image of that, still, I struggle to believe that he saved that, um, that he stayed on that yeah. bike at 100 miles an hour into turn one with the championship on the line. Um, Mark Marquez loses the front for over 60 meters and then picks it up and saves it uh, before going on to finish third. Um, just another of those extraordinary moments that makes Mark Marquez such an incredible talent um, in MotoGP. And yeah, the, the significance of it, given that the championship was up for grabs and that had he gone out of that race, we would genuinely have been in a scenario where we'd have had seven laps to go in that race and Andrea Dovizioso would have needed to overtake the three men ahead of him and he would have won the championship. Um, that was the that was the significance of that save for Mark Marquez. It kept him in the race, kept him in a championship position and just kept... Ducati just tantalizingly too far away from having a hope of winning that championship because they had their own issues in that race with Jorge Lorenzo um, refusing to let uh, Andrea oh. Vizioso through. Um, but an extraordinary moment that one was. Um, but the other one that I, um, I can't ignore, and this was very much a, an emotional moment and a sentimental moment, Dre, but the uh, after Leon Haslam had lost the British Superbike Championship in heartbreaking yes. circumstances with the horrendous crash when his brakes failed at the end of the back straight and uh, the moment that just like the Marquez Davizioso battle, just that um, it was a heartwarming moment, which just signified the respect that um, exists between just two premier riders in their field. Um, just a moment where Leon Haslam, being carried across by his father and his team, goes over to congratulate the six-time BSV champion, Shaky Byrne, um, in a moment of class and sportsmanship that very few of us would have had it in our hearts to do, having just broken our wrist and our ankle and just lost a British Championship into the bargain. Oh, um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, yeah, that's. Oh boy, that's it's it's still it's still it's still stuck in my memory that one. Just seeing the crash live as it happened and seeing Haslam fly off in the distance at 170 miles an hour, mm. thinking he's a dead man when he hits that wall, and the fact he only broke an ankle and a wrist in the grand scheme of things is a walking miracle in itself, and just the the level of zen to where you know you can sit back and you can genuinely say in your heart of hearts, you know what, it's okay. Um, despite, you know, I'm guessing the sheer amount of adrenaline and pain um, to, to be able to be carried onto the circuit so you congratulate Shaky on a job well done. And, you know, you're the, the guy that's been the juggernaut of BSP for the last four or five years now. Um, and 
to be able to do that takes a level of humbleness and humility that I would never have as a human being. No, me neither. And I think ninety nine percent of people wouldn't have in in their in their good selves to be able to do. Um, I think it's between that and the Marquez save for me. Um, as, 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 as if I had to pick one. That's going to be really friggin' hard. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Marquez save. I mean, he's he's almost making this. He's almost making it look easy, and we we shouldn't forget how it's very much not um, what Mark Marquez is doing. He's the only man on the planet. He's the only this. man on the planet that could do this, and he does it with regularity. Um, right, but but it is. I mean, we haven't got an award here for the image of the year, but if if there were. It's that, isn't it? Um, because as, as I mentioned a moment ago, Dre, I, I still look at that still image and the front tyre is gone. And it's easy, it, it's unbelievable to look at that and think that he not only stays on that bike, but he goes on to finish third and win the World Championship on it. Yeah, it's... It's again. It's it's it might be the greatest Marquez moment of them all, and he's yeah. already got a a book's worth of incredible moments to say. Like like he already had like two or three outrageous saves even before this race happened. And this one, one was... So it was the one in Sepang where he, uh, yeah. he, he, he again it's gone for ages. He basically saves it on his shoulder. Um, uh, again, a save that no one else could could manage. Um, and in many ways, it, it's it's this this ability of Marquez to just push to the limit in free practice, isn't it? That many ways makes him the rider he is because it's not luck that enables him to do this time and time again. It's, it's an ability of Mark Marquez to push beyond the limit in free practice and then know from that point on where the limit is in future so that when he gets to that limit in a race, he doesn't go beyond it. And in many ways, that makes Mark Marquez the great rider that he is because he's able to push it further than anyone else without falling off. He's a genius on a motorcycle. He's he's one of the very very few sportsmen on the planet. I feel, I use the word genius about, but he is doing things that no one has ever done on a motorcycle, and maybe we'll never see again. Quite frankly, um, he's a monster. He he's a walking legend, and he is like a transcendent talent, unlike anything I've ever seen on two wheels, and like that. Is like if you ever need a poster image for what Mar- Marquez, the motorcycle rider, is, it's probably the image of his front wheel going down at Valencia, and then thinking, "Yeah, I can save this." Yeah. <laughs> thinking, "Oh yeah, this front wheel is gone. I was at sixty-four degrees in terms of a lean angle. It was at ninety-five miles an hour, and he stood to the front for fifty meters. Oh, and by the way, he just made a pass for the lead when a world championship was on the line when he." Accidentally break thirty meters too late for turn one. He's he's unthinkable. He is a he is a walking cheat code for like, like for me. I think that just sums it up really. I think I'm going to have to go with Mark Marquez's yeah. save of Valencia for my moment of the year now because like we, we there I'm not, I'm not sure there's fair superlatives left at this point because the, the man is the man is the man is ridiculous. He is an absolute joke. Um, yeah, for me, Mark Marquez, Savers of Valencia, like the greatest save, I think, in biking history, yeah, quite frankly. Yeah, it was, it was one of those where that, that image, he almost needs a speech bubble, the thought bubble above his head, just saying, no, everything's under control. Um, yeah, this is fine. I've got this, guys. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, and, and yeah, it's, I, I still remember the, uh, the commentary of, um, of Keith Ewan as um, they played the, the replay in uh, of Mark Marquez, because all we saw on the live feed was Marquez spearing off into the gravel trap. Um, and we kind of thought, oh, he's just overshot the corner. Um, but then when they started to play the replay, we were just like, 
hang on, this is another of those extraordinary Marquez saves. And it's like, he doesn't save this, does he? And then he does, and it's just like, come on. Like, how, 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 do, how do you beat this guy? Like, how do you, how do you beat I, I that? It, the first time I saw it, and I, walked, I, I, and I was watching this with my brother at the time in, in, at home, and I saw that replay for the first time of how he saved it, and I literally laughed and I walked out of the room. <laughs> like, I, just, I was like, F this. Like, this, this is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I couldn't believe what I'd just seen. I was like, how the did he do that? Um, yeah, it's it's one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen on a motorcycle. Um, so yeah, for me, um, it's it's got to be my moment of the year. It's 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 the greatest save I've ever seen. Yeah, it says a lot when um, these riders, just in purely by doing what they do on a motorcycle, is we look at that and think, well, we could never do that. They're they're doing things that meals me and mortals could never do. Um, but it says a lot when Mark Marquez is doing something that even his own peers, his own riders, his own rivals are saying. I couldn't do that. <laughs> just the likes of like the Aspargo doing brothers. that for some time. Yeah, the Aspargo brothers, I know, were interviewed afterwards, and they were just like, "Yeah, we can't do that." Like, if if I if I if that happened to me, I'm crashing. Like, it's <laughs> simple as that. Like, we could not save that, and that sets Mark Marquez apart as just a, a freakish talent. Mark Marquez is saving Valencia, um, save the century, the moment of 2017 for us. Um, to the award that everyone, I think, in motorcycle racing is desperate not to win. Um, on on this Bike Live Awards show, um, and this is an award that might actually get a repeat winner this year, um, based on the uh, the history of this award. Um, the loser of the year. Um, this is basically the award to the person who perhaps has brought shame or ridicule or, frankly, frankly done the worst job. Um, in 2017, of them all. Um, again, the uh, criteria for this are quite loose. This could be for one particular incident or for their body of work over the season. Um. But Dre, um, the loser of the year for you is. Should we just cut to the chase and give it to Jorge Lorenzo? <laughs> well, uh... like I- I'm going to skip the pleasantries here because oh, it's like award for pleasantries. No, it's not. It's not appropriate. Jorge Lorenzo, what on earth were you thinking? Like, and you know what's funny as well? It's like you could have forgiven yourself. Look, we we generally gave you a pass for Sepang, thinking, okay, it was a wet race. He probably had rain on the visor. Like, he was probably concentrating really hard. Okay, you didn't give in to team orders, but it was for the win. I understand. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, it wasn't ideal, but I understood. You did it again at Valencia, which kind of made it, which kind of basically wiped out your own benefit of the doubt, quite frankly. Um, and... I still like just the sheer level of selfishness involved on this one to, you know, where, you know, you're not going to win the title. You knew you had nothing to gain. It wasn't even for a podium finish. It was for freaking fourth place. If it was for a race win, maybe I could have given you the benefit of the doubt on this one because, you know, we all want to win at the end of the day. And that's why we're here. So I get that. If it was for a win, I might've just looked elsewhere for this award, but fourth place, Really, like th- this is the hill you choose to die on, Jorge, and burn like your last bit of goodwill with any biking fans left that were thinking, "Hey, Lorenzo's not that bad a guy." Lorenzo actively tried to harm Davizioso's title bid. I do not understand how this man functions sometimes. And the, the hilarity of it, it as well, in the at the time or after the race, um, Jorge Lorenzo tried to justify it by saying that. Oh, I was I was trying to tow Andre Davizioso up to the front three, but it was obvious throughout that race that 
He wasn't. He was dropping further and further away from Andre Vizioso's main rivals in that race and still wouldn't let him through. No, he just didn't do it. It just, it, it just, yeah, it's just no. It, like, there, there was no justifiable reason for Lorenzo to keep himself in front. None. Not one. Well, okay, you want fourth place more than the other guy. Good for you. Um, you know, like, that was your teammate who you knew was fighting for a championship. You knew what mapping eight meant because you had clearly ignored it. You ignored the pit board saying drop one position afterwards. Lorenzo, you're a grown man of 30 and we're not stupid. We knew exactly what you were going to do, especially after claiming earlier in the season that, you know, okay, if we have the conversation, we'll have it and I, I know what I need to do. You clearly didn't because you didn't even ignore it and then you don't let Dovi through in the end. Oh, I, I, it gets me more angry the more I think about it. Like, like Lorenzo was selfish and unnecessary and, like, I, I don't see what he gained from doing that. And, hey... He ended up crashing in the end, so it was all for naught. Mm. Um, just just a, a, a complete waste of time. And, you know, just burning a bridge of goodwill with Ducati that had been extremely patient with him, given Dovi's relative success um, in, within the time frame. Just, I just don't get how – I just don't get it. I, I'd never understood it. And, again, like I said, it's just burned any last goodwill that Lorenzo had left with arguably many a MotoGP fan and team boss because this guy just doesn't want to listen. So, hey – so much so I'm starting to think, hey, maybe it wasn't all Valentino Rossi for the fallout at Yamaha a couple of years ago. Maybe Lorenzo had a bigger factor in this than we gave him credit for. The fact I've got to look at every part of Lorenzo's career in a, under a different light because of this incident says a lot about okay, Lorenzo as a human being, quite frankly. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's um, so a side note. It's kind of ironic that we're talking about the loser of the year just as Phil Taylor gets ready to throw his first dart of the, of the night. But uh, hey, that's a side note. Let this go, Lewis. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Come on, Chris Dobie. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, before we um, go through the formalities of giving this award to Jorge Lorenzo, because I think he's pretty much got this one sewn up. I think Dre's going to riot if he doesn't win it. Um, but um, if I'm going to nominate a few others um, for the for the sake of argument, um, two of them I've got of teams. Um, Yamaha in mods GP are one. Um, for how they completely shat the bed after dominating the first third of the season. Um, and it's it's to the point that when you see both of their riders struggling to the same extent in Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi, two world-class riders riding around in the midfield, you know that the team has screwed up somewhere um, and that their machine is substandard. And the fact that they were being shown up by John Zarco on their year-old motorcycle on so many occasions, and Folger on their year-old motorcycle, just illustrated how badly wrong Yamaha had got it um, in 2017. Uh, one of my other losers of the year is, and they were quite literally the losers in MotoGP because they finished last, Aprilia, um, who, oh, yeah. um, not just for how poorly they performed this year because they were kind of touting themselves as potential winners at the start of the year, Dre, but equally, they deserve nomination for this because of their pure cack-handed treatment of a rookie in Sam Lowe's who they put so much faith in in dragging him out of Moto2 and putting him into the Premier Class that they never even gave him a first shot when he got there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay, to, to, to backtrack a little bit here, yeah, Yamaha absolutely deserved an honourable mention here. I mean, again, guys riding around in the midfield, and I'm surprised Lynn Jarvis isn't under a hot seat right now for two consecutive years of colossal failure um, with the Yamaha team, where they didn't, never, they never really looked in it last year either. And again, this year was arguably even worse, where there's now not one but two bikes in front of them for, for the majority of the year. And again, as you 
say Johan Zarco riding the nuts off last year's bike kind of said it all really um Aprilia yeah absolutely worth a mention on this one again the bottom of the manufacturer's title the sheer like delusions of grandeur that the team had in general where you know again like trying to push Sam Lowe's out of the door before he even got in and basically cut his chance before he even started like, listen you guys signed Sam Lowe's you surely you knew what you were signing up for in the first place here right you know, a high-risk, high-reward sort of rider that, hey, on his day will be the spectacular, but he will have a bad day once or two. That's what Sam Lowe's does. That's what you sign up for. But no, you pushed him out of the door, and you think Scott Redding's going to be the one to save you? I, re I remain to be convinced on that one. Um, but yeah, I also want to give an honorable mention to Josh Brooks for his earlier really stupid comments yes. regarding the possibility of, this, of Alicia Spagaro not riding in a completely dangerous wet austria circuit um comments that were crass and quite frankly ignorant at best and, and sexist at worst um using just describing Lisa spagaro with a dress on because oh my god he might not risk his life for the sake of entertainment um so yeah i think brooks deserves an honorable mention for his boneless comments regarding um, you know, regarding uh, you know um, the possibility of riding in an Austrian track, which has been dangerous to begin with. But um, I think Jorge Lorenzo, for his uh, discretions in Sepang to a degree, but mostly Valencia, um, gets our Loser of the Year award. And I think this is, isn't this the second time yeah, Lorenzo's won? Exactly this? what I was alluding to earlier on in that he was he could be a repeat winner. He won this in 2014, did Jorge Lorenzo um, for his uh, well his disastrous season that year where he. Uh, jumped the start by a mile in Cota um, <laughs> and then went on to be beaten by Valentino Rossi to the runner-up spot in the championship that year. Um, hadn't trained for the uh, hottest race of the year in Sepang. Um, yeah, Came into the year overweight. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, it was one of those. So yeah, two-time winner of this award. One other honorable mention though before we uh, finally give it to him um, because I want to mention this because I've got him written down. Danny Kent. Um, Danny, oh, yes. Danny Kent started this year with the Kiefer team um, in Moto2 and he'd left them by the time race three had finished um, at the Circuit of the Americas. He basically walked out on the team um, for basically his his feeling that they weren't professional enough or weren't good enough. And uh, yeah, this is a team that went on to win a Grand Prix later this season. Yes, I know they were taken, it was taken away from them due to technical irregularities with Agata and Bizarro, but the team went on to prove later in the season that they were good enough. Um, and whilst, even if Danny Kent's um, gripes with the team were legitimate, I'm sorry, I don't know about you, Dre, and I know he's kind of landed on his feet by landing a ride with speed up next year, but surely if you're a rider that's got ambitions of being picked up by MotoGP squads in the future, you don't walk out on your team three races into the year, do you? Ugh, what a disastrous year for Kia for racing in, 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 you know, in, in not so jokey terms as well. But um, yeah, this was a right. It's easy to forget given it was right at the start of the year. But um, yeah, like Danny Kent walks out of Kia for after three rounds and throws his team under the bus at the same time. I mean, like, and I, I've said it before, like, Dom, as, and as James Tozen quite rightly pointed out, who wasn't beating the nationalist drum on this one, so well done for mm. that, James, um, mm. said straight up, well, listen, if it's tyre pressures, one, you can easily fix those in a matter of seconds. Two, it doesn't hold up because Dominique Agata was in the top 10 of the championship at the time, and he would go on to finish that same Cota race in the top five. <laughs> um, so the, the excuses that Danny Kent was coming out with 
didn't really hold water. And yes, as you say, he's landed on his feet. Like, I, want, I want the man's agent. I don't know how he was able to land that job. And as, as the new rider for hire, getting a, a good a good level gig next year in Moto2, I don't know how. I mean, again, I, I, is he going to be the guy that everyone tries to, decides to be like, oh, you know, let's see if we can get the best out of Danny Kent again. Mm-hmm. He's quickly becoming the guy. And it's own, he only won the Moto3 title two years ago. Yeah. Like, like, it's crazy that we're already talking about Danny Kent in those uncertain terms because the talent has always been there with him. Um, but his attitude has been questionable at best, quite frankly. And the way he, he handled himself after he quit Kiefer was, for me, you know, unforgivable. Like, just just sheer unprofessional. And, you know, and like, I'm glad that, again, that, that many people on and off TV were, were, you know, were not buying it. And I certainly wasn't one of those people either because, you know, it just didn't hold any water on that one. And I know Kiefer didn't have the best year by any stretch for obvious reasons. Not before we even knew about poor Stefan's passing, may he rest in peace. Mm. But just... Like Dominic Gagt is a quality rider as a, 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 a GP class winner who, again, before the disqualification, was going to win. They had a win for that season as well and was in the top 10 for good chunks of the season. So, yeah, overall, like, I don't know what Danny Kent was doing on that one. And again, his claims just didn't stack up on paper. No, not at all. And um, yeah, he's um, in many ways, it might well be his last chance next year in, in Moto 2 with speed up because he's up against a highly rated young rookie in oh, well, no, he was a rookie this year he won't be next year in Fabio Quartararo uh, who has now a year's experience behind him in Moto2 and when the conditions were right last year or this year as it is put in some spectacular performances Quartararo so yeah if, if Quartararo goes on and beats Danny Kent next year I struggle to see where Danny Kent goes from there um, as a Moto2 rider um, so big year for him next year with that speed up team and you really feel for him he has to beat Quartararo next year um, to really be considered in any respect um, a future MotoGP rider. Of course, that's another thing that we forget very easily. Um, two years ago, he won the MotoGP Moto3 title and could have been a MotoGP rider had he put pen to paper with Pramac. Um, and how, yeah. how different his career might have been had he signed that contract um, two years ago. Um, but no, no questions from me. I don't think any doubts from uh, you all either. Although uh, Stefan Bowen on Twitter did nominate Scott Redding, um, for this award and um, a very worthy nomination as well. Um, oh, yes. A, a disastrous season for him where he was completely outclassed by General Petrucci. And he's another man that's landed on his feet um, by picking up the Aprilia gig um, in MotoGP, although, uh, although given the way that Sam Lowe's has been treated there, whether that's um, a reward or not is um, is left to your own interpretation. But without question, Give it a month. The, uh, the loser of the year, two-time Bike Live loser of the year um, and <laughs> certain never to be interviewed on this show ever. Uh, okay, Lorenzo um, is our loser of the year for the second time in four years. Um, maybe next year he'll uh, he'll manage to uh, win uh, one of the two awards that are still to come on this show. Um, before we get to the rider of the year, the award that you probably already know the winner of, um, we'll get to the one that I think we'll probably have the most fun deciding the winner of because there have been so many fantastic races uh, in in 2017 across all the different championships we cover. Um, here on Bike Live, and um, I, I granted one of them probably does stand out above them all, um, and it comes from MotoGP um, towards the end of this season. But but Dre, by no means was that the only great race worthy of mentioning for this award, the race of the year. 
Indeed. Um, we, we both kind of plumped for it um, in, in the Motorsport 101 Awards, but we'll get to that later. Um, it, it, it's, there's definitely other um, others worth mentioning. Um, yeah, um, as, as mentioned, I mean, Le Mans was a fantastic race, a fantastic finish and a fantastic home podium um, for Johan Zarco, where... You know, he had a hundred thousand mad Frenchmen cheering his name on um, at, at Park Ferme um, on, on on that one. Um, incredible, uh, incredible stuff. Um, yeah, it's that that was one that's definitely worth a mention. Um, there's a there's a bunch of other ones from MotoGP as well. I mean, Silverstone was a fantastic race, and it could have been even better if Marquez's bike was actually allowed to take part in the last yeah. seven laps or so. Is a real that was, that was a real shame. Um, that was another fantastic race. Um, Mategi worth mentioning as well as, as again a, a great wet race topped off with a fantastic last lap fight. Misano is another mention given the Petrucci's involvement. Assen is a fantastic yeah. race as well. Petrucci versus Rossi. We've not even mentioned that yet. Like there is five or six Moto Moto GP races that are fantastic. Moto two. At Masan, I uh, sorry, at Magella was 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 worth was worth mentioning because of Matteo Pasini's lightning comeback. Moto two and Aragon, two of the Morbidelli and Pasini. Yeah, again, fantastic tactical fight, a very different sort of thrilling race, but a thrilling one nonetheless. Uh, Moto three at Aragon was fantastic um in, in its own right again you know i may go into desperate lengths to win that race um uh, bobbing and weaving like a grand slalom in that in that one as well world superbikes i think is, is worth a mention for a couple of races i think race two i want to say at uh at uh, masano was worth a mention with Jordi torres in the mix as well race one was captivated and again right up until the finish with tom's like yeah yeah, getting the jammiest win of his life um, as uh, a, a rim run in a real accident where Jonathan Ray rides over Chaz Davis, as you do. Um, quite so, um, yeah, there's a handful of fantastic you can go from here that, you know, we're probably not going to give the award to. How about that? No, <laughs> no I, yeah, to add to that, um, yeah, I've got Mizano World Superbike Race 1 written down. Um, just probably no races in World Superbikes this year produced the levels of incident um, that that race did. Um, there were races probably in World Superbikes that had better racing in it, but um, for sheer drama, I don't think there was a race in World Superbikes that matched it with Michael Vandermark leading for so long and looking good before his rear tyre comes off the rim and robs him of a potential victory um, for Yamaha, and what would have been, of course, his first win in World Superbikes. And then Tom Sykes starting the final lap, seven seconds off the lead in fourth place, and then going on to win it. Um, with Marco Melangi crashing at turn four on the final lap to have promote him to third. And then the crash between Davies and Jonathan Ray, three corners from home, uh, where Chaz Davies just trying his hardest to kind of try and keep Johnny Ray at bay, loses the front at the hairpin and trips up Jonathan Ray into the bargain, allowing Sykes to ride past um, several seconds later for, as you say, Dre, the jammiest win of his life. Um, was incredible. Um, over and above that, though... Um, a couple of others from that same paddock, but not the same class. Um, arguably, any of the first three World Supersport races of the year um, were just... Uh, we, we, we termed it batshit crazy, and, and it certainly was. I mean, the, the, Phillip, Island, the Phillip Island race was was brilliant because it's Phillip Island. Um, but we had the uh, the pile-up on the final lap between Clozel, Caracasulo, 
um, all going down at the final on the final lap. Uh, and then we had the uh, photo finish across the line, one of the closest finishes in World Supersport history as uh, Robbie Rolfo. Remember when Robbie Rolfo won a race? Um, he <laughs> beat Lucas Mahias by basically a matter of inches um, across the line to win that race. Um, the following race at the uh, at the Ram circuit in Thailand was equally crazy in that we had Lucas Mahias taken out through a blown engine. We had PJ Jacobson taken out through a blown engine. Jules Clozel, likewise, he lost out on a win due to mechanical problems. We had Kyle Smith going rogue and getting disqualified, <laughs> getting disqualified from the race, but carrying on anyway and basically carving up the poor Thai wildcard, Getcha Kreisart, who was chasing a fairy tale victory on home soil, but got carved up by... That was some bullshit, by the way, for Carl yeah. Smith. Like, jeez, he should have been in the loser of the year contender yeah. for that alone. Uh, Kreisart <laughs> gets carved up by a guy and loses a chance of winning the race by a guy who shouldn't have been out there because he'd been black flagged. Um, we had Kyle Smith, of course, he'd already earlier in that race taken Christian Gamarino out of the race with a dive bomb at the final corner, which caused <laughs> which caused Gamarino to basically frighten him off the road and he fell off. Um, and then in the end, we had Federico Caracasulo, the villain of Phillip Island, after he torpedoed Jules Clozel, goes on to win his first race um, of his career in that one. Um, and then the third race of the year was equally crazy in that we had Keenan Savoglu returning from injury, um, getting taken out by Caracasulo. Um, in that same race. And then Mahias yep. takes his first win in a photo finish with Sheridan Marias. I mean, this is a class trade that, pound for pound, it's not got the level of talent, but we mentioned this in our World Superbike Season review. What it may, what it lacks arguably in talent, it's sure made up for in entertainment this year, hasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, my goodness. Like, this series has had, like, again, a good half dozen ridiculous moments in it. And it told its own story this year. And, hey, Keenan, Keenan not being around for a good few rounds and then coming back and then basically curb stomping yeah. everybody again was, was, was basically the story of the year. Lucas Mahias, champion in pink for, for all bike riders everywhere um, within the title. But again, a handful of fantastic races laid, laid out. And as you said, with it lacks in star power, it makes up for, for batshit craziness mm. um again like we haven't even mentioned like i, I think we've mentioned like jules Cazelle and caracasulo's fantastic last oh, corner yeah, fight right. which should have probably been a battle of the year contender given that uh the, 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 good the biggest Lord, balls of uh, the year without question from Cazelle. um yeah like i i, I had a code brown moment <laughs> watching the fun it's like what are you doing Cazelle? um to say the least um I don't know how Greg Haynes survived that. I'm having like a white line go through his hair, um, <laughs> through, through, through that much stress. God bless him. But um, yeah, the, the, like Fall Super Sport is a fantastic series, and it, 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 has, it was an incredible season this year. And um, yeah, it deserves all the credit in the world. Um, again, maybe not quite our race of the year, but yeah, if we had a, if we had a series of the year, it would certainly be right up there because uh, it's it's been incredible this yeah, season. It's been fantastic to watch. It's um it's really the first year that I've really devoted my time to watch the full season of World Super Sport, and I'm certainly glad I did. Um, one other race I want to mention because it's a class I want to mention in this show, in what is essentially our big fat review of the year across all championships. But I want to mention Super Sport 300 and the race at Assen, okay. um, which uh, was was chaotic to put it mildly and uh, the race that uh, if you watched it via the world feed and by the way if you got the world feed for a dollar uh, the, the video pass you can go back and watch this race um with scott redding with scott redding's commentary of it which is brilliant um where Do scott it. redding essentially sounds like he's gonna have a heart attack every other corner um as as someone uh, in that race puts on uh, puts in an incredibly 
brave and ambitious overtaking maneuver. Um, and this is a class Dray, which um, of course made worldwide headlines later in the year with Anna Carrasco's victory in Portimao that um, basically Absolutely. got the world talking with the first female winner of a world championship motorcycle race. But um, that race in Assen was really um, the moment where this class finally arrived after a, a pretty underwhelming first race in Aragon. And Assen, in many ways, kind of allayed a lot of the fears that we had about the class. Absolutely, yeah. It was one of those, it was one of those things where there, there was, you know, deservedly some skeptics of the series going in. You know, rider quality wasn't amazing, and you know, yeah, the blacks were, they did look slow going around Aragon, but we quickly forgot about that by the time Aston rolled around. And yeah, it did alleviate a lot of fears about the series going in. That yeah, this series can still produce fantastic racing and just you know, absolutely you know, fantastic landslide moments out there. And again, Supersport 300 really came, yeah, really came together in the second half of its season as well. And again, we have, yeah, Anna Carrasco deserves a lot of applause for that fear, the first Grand Prix female victory, which deserves a lot of credit given how strong, you know, bike riding is to break through in the first place um, to make history like that. But again, the series did, did a lot of good, and I'm eagerly looking forward to what Kawasaki do with their new Ninja 400 they're going to be using in the class mm. next year as well. So. Yeah, the series I think will only go from strength as it goes yeah, on. Yeah, likely KTO entering it next year as well. Um, in, in a class right. that's going to go from strength to strength. One other but notable mention that I want to throw in: um, the Moto Three race at Mugello. Um, I, I know we nominate this race pretty much every year because it's brilliant. Um, but the when you have essentially a twenty-one bike fight for the win, um, you cannot not nominate that race. Um, it was absolutely brilliant. A race that was won the only KTM win of the year, lest we forget. Um, Andrea Migno winning that race for his first ever victory in a race where, as I say, the top 21 over the line were covered by a matter of seconds. It was incredible, um, that race. But Absolutely. this is the race of the year, Dre, in 2017. And um, for all these other races that we're mentioning, it's MotoGP for the Apollo, isn't it? What else was it going to be, <laughs> really? Um, as I say in this series, that had like six classics. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, of all the classics, this might be the best MotoGP race since the turn of the century. This was unbelievable. This was not a race. It was a punch-up. Um, if you ever want to describe this race, if like I would say, watch an old Taz Tasmanian devil cartoon with a bunch of limbs flying out of a smoke cloud. And that's roughly what this race represents. Um, it, it was a punch-up between five of the best riders on the planet. Mark Marquez, Maverick Vinales, Valentino Rossi, Johan Zarco. Hell, Jack Miller got the whole shot, which surprised everybody from the second row as well. Um, Jack Miller, who was, again, who didn't get the fanfare, but coming off a broken leg three races prior, um, three weeks ago, they did to go in there and to lead, lead several laps of the race, um, despite that, was incredible in its own right. Um, so... Yeah, this was a punch-up, and then Marquez, again, was spectacular at the end to be able to find a way to break the toe around Phillip Island, which is so hard to do. It's practically it's practically impossible around there, and yet he found a way to get it done as everybody else was fighting each other. It was an, an incredible, incredible race, one of the best I've ever seen. And, uh, yeah, again, we've mentioned it before. Get the flaming video pass and watch it already if you haven't. You have no excuse. It's a bloody pound. <laughs> do it. Um, it's for the price of a Mars bar. You can watch the best racing you'll see all year. So, um, yeah, make it so. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And just as a measure of how crazy this race was, in, in, in a good sense, how crazy this race was, um, Valentino Rossi finished this race with Mark Marquez's front tyre rubber on his shoulder. Um, and 
Mark Marquez finished the race with part of his tail missing because Joan Zarco had taken a bite out of it. Um, it, it was incredible. It was no holds barred racing. And it's very rare, Dre, that we see a race like that of, of just chaotic proportions where just about every rider at the end of it was speaking about how much they enjoyed it. Absolutely. Like, like nobody had a complaint. Nobody questioned, you know, the, 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 the tactics or too aggressive. We've, we've had that a lot in MotoGP over the years. Guys saying, oh, this guy went too far or that guy went too far and this guy was dangerous. Everybody was like, sorry, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, can we do this again? Uh, yeah, can, we, can we do this again next week, please? Can we just race around Philip Island forever? Um, again, like there was bits of bike, bodywork and leather all over everybody in here. You think it was some sort of swingers party. But um, by, by any measure, a magnificent race and everybody just seemed to enjoy it. It was just, you know, what many of the purists would say was just good hard racing. And that's, that's what we got. It ended up being super captivating. Yeah, yeah. The only sort of I don't want to say it's a, a negative because it wasn't, but the only sort of shame of that race, in a sense, was that it essentially dis- decided the world championship for Andre Dovizioso, who had a had a yeah. bit of a shocker that day. I was that was the only thing that race lacked was the two championship contenders both up there fighting at the front. But we had enough of those races this season to uh, to satisfy us. But yeah, what a Grand Prix it was! The MotoGP race at Phillip Island, the Australian Grand Prix, quite rightly wins our race of the year um, for 2017, and I can be the race of any year. Uh, in MotoGP, it was that good. Go out of your way to watch it if you haven't already. Um, one way award to go then um, in the 2017 Bike Live Awards. You'll never guess who wins this one. Um, but but let's go through the motions and pretend that you don't already know the winner um, of this award. If you didn't listen to the most, but one awards last last week. Um, because I think for me, Dre, I, I've got five riders written down who have a very legitimate case for winning this on their own. Um, and, and it's a measure of how great this year has been that this five, this list of five does not include Mark Garcia, the Supersport 300 champion, Franco Morbidelli, oh. the Moto2 champion, Shaky Burn, nope. the British Superbikes champion, Lucas Mahias, the World Supersport champion. None of those even nope. make my five rider shortlist um, for the rider of the year because of how great it's been this year. Um, three of them come from MotoGP, one from World Superbikes, um, and one of them, and this is the one I'm going to mention first, comes from Moto3, um, because uh, this rider um, deserves so much praise, and we'll, we'll, we'll give him his moment now, um, because in a class that um, in many ways is geared up for a, a rider not to dominate it, given how closely matched all the, all the riders and all the machines are in that class, John Mir went on to almost tear up the record books. He did tear up the record books in by as much as he set the brand new record for the most points in the season. And he very nearly equaled Valentino Rossi's record for most wins in a lightweight class season. Um, he wasn't really a rider that we talked about an awful lot at the start of the year. He was one of the outright championship favourites. But it soon emerged very early in the season that Joan Mier was a class apart in Moto3. Yeah, the greatest lightweight class season I've seen in my lifetime. Joan Mir was so, so good. Um, the, the, it was outrageous. Again, won every sort of race, barring a, barring a wet race that you've ever seen. Um, yeah, just un- unbelievable. Ten wins. Um, the all-time you know lightweight class points record. Ultra consistent. Um, 
dominant pace at times, ridiculous, you know, overtakes. You know, the Valencia line was just a cherry on top in second place. And kind of proving what we already did. The guy's a monster, quite frankly. Um, an incredible talent. And, you know, by going by the Moto2 test times, we might be looking at a freak talent here that could be walking into the top class as an alien in 2019. Because, uh, Oh Lord, um, 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 unbelievable! Um, what a guy! Um, yeah, just fantastic stuff all, all the way around. No, Amir is, is a is a hell of a prospect, and uh, definitely one to keep an eye on for, Mo- for the Moto Two title next year because the, the guy is, is is he set Moto Three alight this year. Mm, yeah, let's uh, go through the three MotoGP riders then that we've got nominated for the award, or the three that I've nominated anyway. I don't know if you you feel any differently, Dre. Um, Riders four, five, and ninety-three. I've got written down for this, and we'll we'll start with uh, number five, Sean Zarco, yeah. who uh, came into this. We mentioned this earlier on. We've already given Take Three the Team of the Year, but they came into this as um, as rookies. And Jean Zarco, in previous history, if you go through his his record in one, two, five, and then in Tomoto two, he wasn't the kind of rider that got it straight away. He was always a rider that maybe took a year or two to finally reach his peak in that class, um, and. Right. In this case, I mean, hell, Zarco probably will improve, so he probably hasn't peaked in MotoGP yet, but it took Jean Zarco all of about 100 metres um, to get the hang of MotoGP. Yeah, um, he was great right from the start and could have easily had a couple of wins to his name by the end of this season, which would have you know cemented him into ridiculous status given the bike he was on. But you can make the case he was already there. I mean, this, this was... A pick that, you know, was relatively safe. Normally taking the Moto2 champion is great, but there's no guarantee they're going to enter the top class great. If they're in the wrong circle, it's not going to work. But Zarco didn't have the easiest time of defending his Moto2 title. Some would say maybe left, shouldn't have stuck around for a second year. Um, Tech3 was, you know, kind of in, kind of in, in, in like, transition of, like, obviously losing Polar Spagger and Brentford to the KTM factory team. And as we mentioned... This was a relative gamble from Pontrar to go with a completely new rookie lineup with two rookie riders and one of them in Volga who, you know, had, didn't have the best reputation um, going into his MotoGP career. But Zarco proved everybody wrong this year. He was, from the start, lightning, ridiculously fast, got to grips with the class incredibly quickly, used that experience to channel himself in as positive a light as possible. Super impressive from top to bottom. Um, you know, multiple podiums again. Basically, he was the French shot in the arm that the sport needed because, I mean, again, we mentioned it in Le Mans, finishing second and having 100,000 Frenchmen chanting his name, Zarco, 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 after the second place. Um, you know, he, he's been incredible all season long. Um, one of the strongest rookie seasons, sixth place in the championship overall. With an independent um, team. The <laughs> Yeah, of an independent team, 174 points scored and points in all but one race. And that was the Catan. Even some incredible moments like, like, like Masano, where despite a bad day, despite running out of fuel on the final lap, he pushes his yeah. bike over the line for the final point in 15th place. Uh, yeah, professional, funny, entertaining, stupidly fast. Johan Zarco is, a, is an asset to MotoGP and he's been fantastic all year long. And it's, you know... Any other year, he probably would have won this award. He's just, it's just been so unlucky that we've had five or six unbelievable 
rides riders this season in, across all the categories that have that have made this a very very hard category to pick from. What's been so impressive as well for me, apart from the obvious, with John Zarco is, um, is is just how he's just wandered into this class and belonged immediately. I mean, it's easy for a rookie to enter this class and be intimidated by some of the riders you're up against, some of the legends of the sport that you're up against. But as Joan Zarco proved with Valentino Rossi at Texas, uh, with uh, Jorge Lorenzo at Mategi, um, and with the likes of Mark Marquez at Le Mans when he raced in wheel-to-wheel and at several other circuits, with Danny Pedrosa at the final round of the season, Joan Zarco has no respect to reputation. He doesn't give a damn who you are. You're just another opponent to Zarco, and he's not intimidated by anyone. Indeed, like opening race, led from the front, led by several seconds. Cota barged Valentino Rossi out of the way, attempting a, da- a, 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 a questionable pass into turn three. Um, again, was willing to trade punches with those factory Yamahas at Le Mans, and again at Phillip Island. And like as, as mentioned, he's fearless. He he doesn't give a damn who you are. He he he, he doesn't show any sort of respect. He like like it's it's one of those things where so it's almost a market trait, isn't it? Yeah, it's just he's completely fearless. He will go into he will go into any race, both barrels, full guns blazing, and he'll see what happens. He, he's not intimidated by reputation. He will go after it. He's the guy that you want spearheading your team. KTM, yeah. um, and and yeah, just unbelievable stuff from Zarco all year long. And again, exactly the sort of rider that MotoGP needs as an independent, a guy that's completely fearless, um, is captivating, entertaining, and has chances to win as well. And that's exactly what you want in MotoGP now with, with these guys. Mm, absolutely, yeah, he is a he is a worthy nominee for the the rider of the year uh, here on Bike Live. Uh, as I mentioned, two others from the MotoGP class who um, are rightfully uh, nominated. Uh, Andre Davizioso is one of them. Davizioso, who's already won uh, two awards technically tonight with the Battle of the Year with Marquez and the Most Improved Rider of the Year. And uh, in many ways, Dre, he has a legitimate claim to be the Rider of the Year as well, given that in many ways, above anyone else, we've got him to thank for that we've got such the, or we had such an exciting championship battle this season. Mark Marquez is always brilliant and he always tends to come on strong as the season goes on. He did that in 2016, where the Yamaha challenge kind of faded around Aragon, Mategi time, uh, when Mar- Mar- Marquez came on strong. Um, but this year, for me, the reason we had such a fantastic and compelling championship battle from beginning to last was Andrea Davizioso. The year of the antagonist, and uh, as I mentioned on the most on the website before, and, and Dovi was that antagonist that made this year so captivating. I think it all spearheaded through him and Ducati's resurgence um, into we get a top flight team again, a team that could challenge for the title, and Dovi was the reason for that again. The pack races at Silverstone, you know, the the battles in the in the wet and the dry with Marquez. The fact that him winning was no longer a surprise by the time we got to the second half of the season. And the fact that hey, again, we mentioned it. Every question we asked of Dovi as a, as a bike rider this year and as a potential alien, he answered and then some. And he, he took a championship, but really had no business being as close as it was. He took it to the final round and he gave Marquez a real fight. Um, and again, as mentioned, this is the arguably the best Marquez we've ever seen from top to bottom. Um, and Dovi was always there, the fawn in Marquez's side all the way till Phillip Island. And yeah, like I know Marquez won the title and he was magnificent as he usually is, but we owe Dovi our thanks for basically making the year as captivating as it was. Um, and yeah, it's a shame again, that 
he's not he's not going to win this award. He's won enough as it is, quite frankly. Um, but again, he's he's been so good. And again, it's a shame that we've had you know, such a stacked year for for brilliant riders because he is he is as big a part of the conversation as anybody in there. So yeah, a salute to Dovi one more time for a, a fantastic season. Absolutely brilliant, Andre Davizio. So we are down to two then. Um, and they are, as it would happen, the two Premier Class World Champions um, from uh, their various uh, classes, MotoGP and World Superbikes. And um, as it goes, uh, the runner-up, I think we're going to uh, term him as for this award, is Mark Marquez of MotoGP. And um, it, Wait, what? <laughs> it's, 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 it just shows the level that, that his... Um, his his rivals, if you like, or his rivals for this award have been operating at that even in this amazing year that he's put together, Mark Marquez doesn't quite win this award. But um, this is a rider, Dre, who is without question the best in his field in in MotoGP. And in an era where we're probably going to be soon approaching the post-Rossi era of MotoGP, it it might well be his final year um, in 2018, Valentino Rossi. Um, we we mm. don't know that yet, but there is a chance that he may well decide to retire midway through next year. Um, MotoGP is going to be looking for a face um, post-2018, and uh, surely it can't be anyone but Mark Marquez. Yeah, but he's not he's not worth something rolling the dice on because Marquez is just that dude now. I think he, he is... I think this is the year that cemented it more than any other. He is the face that runs this place just as much, if not more, than Valentino now. And I know he's never going to fully convince anybody on this, given what happened in 2015. But like this year, this should take away any last question marks about who the best rider on the planet is, because it's mm-hmm. him. Uh, there is no question about it. He is, yeah, he spearheads that Honda team. I know Honda as a bike have definitely improved him, but if you give Marquez the tools to win, sometimes even if you don't give Marquez yeah. the tools to win. He finds he's a, a rider with no uh, obvious weakness, isn't he? I mean, he's he's, no. he's fantastic in in races in that he's he's so formidable as a, as an on track adversary. I mean, it's it's a it's a testament to how good Andrea Vizioso was that he managed to beat him on track a couple of times this year. Um, but he is such a difficult rider to beat wheel to wheel um, in many ways because he often just has this incredible extra gear that he can go to in a race as he proved at Mizano final lap when he just dropped Daniel Petrucci on the final lap, as he proved at Phillip Island when he broke the toe, something you just shouldn't be able to do around Phillip Island. Um, but equally, as, as good as he is over a race distance, nobody, and I mean nobody, can match Mark Marquez's qualifying level of pace either. Absolutely. I mean, if you took like a Frankenstein's monster of all of all the major assets we expect of riders, like... Lorenzo's ridiculous one lap speed. You, you, you've got the race craft of a Valentino Rossi starting to develop in him now, or he can win those last lap fights. And, and you know, the now the intelligence is there of him. Again, the flag to flag ability, which he has that nobody else in the field seems to have now. You know, the intelligence of someone like Davizioso, um, you know, the, the ability to salvage a result now that Danny Pedrosa was made for in the early parts of the decade. You combine all of that together, you get Martin Marquez now. He has no conceivable, exploitable weakness anymore as a motorcycle rider. He is the one of the best riders I've ever seen grace this sport. He now is the all-time pole position leader. He's in the top five now on the wins list. Um, he is going to rewrite every record book by the time it's all yeah, said and, and done. He's, and the pace he's, going. <laughs> he's, he's 24! Uh, 
He's not fair. He's a again. He is a walking cheat code, and like four top flight world titles, and in a five year time span as well. He's not had a season where he's won less than five times. Like it, it is ridiculous. He is the most naturally gifted rider I think I've ever seen, and he continues to amaze. And even this is year five of Marquez in the top flight. And he still finds new ways to captivate us. And, and we've seen him mature. And like, it's crazy. He won the GP title as a, as a rookie. And he's so much better now than he was in 2013. It's terrifying. Well, I mean, I mean what a talent this guy is. He, he, he keeps finding a way to get better and better and better. And this year tops the lot for me. He is an unbelievable talent, um, unlike anything we've ever seen. And somehow not our rider of the year. Incredible. Funny, I mean, he's, he's, he almost, in many ways, he's reinvented the sport, hasn't he? He's, he's invented a whole new way of yeah. riding a motorcycle, so much so that Valentino Rossi, the man who seemingly had forgotten more about racing than any of us would ever know, had to reinvent his own riding style to have to ride a MotoGP like, bike like Mark Marquez does. Um, to try and match his, his level of performance. Um, and yeah, he's just such a, he's such a difficult rider to beat nowadays in that unless Honda drop the ball spectacularly um, with their motorcycle, he's going to be a championship contender, if not the favourite, as he's proven, um, as we mentioned earlier on in the show. He is the favourite for next year's World Championship with the bookmakers um, and a solid favourite as well. It's not even close. Oh, it's on. On, uh, before a wheel has even turned next it's year. Um, for next year. And... Uh, as we saw last year, even when Honda do kind of drop the ball ever so slightly, Mark Marquez can still pick it up and win the championship anyway. Um, so, right. um, yeah, there's no obvious weakness with this guy. And, uh, yeah, he's the, the, the sport is in such safe hands with Mark Marquez going forward because even when you just ignore his, his, his talent on a motorcycle, Dre, and I know many Valentino Rossi fans in particular will you know disagree with this or choose to ignore it, but... Just as a personality, it's infectious. It's hard not to like the guy. Just as it, just the the way he carries himself. I mean, how can you not like him? He smiles everywhere. He has this just this boyish enthusiasm and passion for the sport. He signs every autograph, dots every eye, crosses every T. He has a fucking close range now. That, that's how big a deal he is now. And like he like he has never ever put a foot wrong as a personality in MotoGP. I can't think of a single moment where I've not looked at Marquez and gone, that's a class dude right there. He like and this is again this is five years in the top flight and that he is a tremendous ambassador for the sport. He is the perfect face to take this sport going forward post Rossi. And again, I don't think it was even his fault that I don't think he'll ever be able to convince a significant portion of bike fans that he is the guy because of Valentino in his own paranoia let's say but like Marquez is a class guy on and off the track I think he is the perfect ambassador for a series going forward and you know, a series that's in transition and probably needs a new face going forward and Marquez I think is the perfect guy for that and like I, you can't I've not got a bad word to say about him he is a genius and and he is a genius he's an ambassador He's a class act. He's Mark Marquez, and then and then and that is, you know, that could be the face of your sport for the next ten years, and we are so lucky to have him in MotoGP right now. Yeah, I mean, given that we're going to have a few shows um, with very little racing to talk about in the next uh, month or so over the winter, we might well devote a whole show to Mark Marquez um, and uh, and talk a bit more about him in in a, in a special show over the course of the winter. We'll keep you posted on that um, as we bat some ideas around. But um, given everything we've just said about the guy. 
Um, it must take someone pretty special to beat him to the rider of the year. Um, and we kind of have that um, in the World Superbike Champion. Um, and potential sports personality of the year. You've got no excuses not to vote for him um, on, on Sunday mm-hmm. night. Um, it, it, the 2017 Bike Live Rider of the Year. Uh, and the second time he's won this award, because he won it in 2015, um, is Jonathan Ray. And this is a guy who's just taken his sport, in many ways, to new heights as well and to new levels. Um, because, Dre, at the start of 2017, um, World Superbike introduced rule changes that were specifically designed, really, to clip Jonathan Ray's wings a bit. In particular, the reverse grid regulations that um, were an attempt to stop him sweeping the board and doing as many doubles as he did uh, in 2016 and 2015. Um, and Jonathan Ray, quite frankly, was ahead of the game completely. What do the best do? They adapt. And that is what, I mean, the series is now actively harder than ever trying to trying to clamp Jonathan Ray. But in the face of that, he, he keeps finding ways of getting it done. He is an unbelievable rider. And again, like MotoGP has had the luxury of Valentino Rossi for the last 20 years now. World Superbikes is a series that has fallen by the wayside, inevitably given to how much talent has just jumped ship over the years. But Jonathan Ray has, you know, been at the top of his game now for the last three years. I mean, he started when he was 27 and he's now 30 years old and he's now, in the peak of his powers, at the top of at the top of his game, but at the top of the sport, and a, a series that so badly needs a champion that fans can get behind, and the hero's welcome he got in Northern Ireland when he flew back home to Ulster kind of said it all, really, on this one. I mean, the guy is the face of World Superbikes. He is now unbelievable. He is he he is you know the first guy to ever be a triple consecutive uh, multiple bike champion, a guy that many people will now have as a top five guy pound for pound, um, regardless of series that he is in. Uh, again, a sports personality of the year nominee, the first bike rider to be nominated for that since James Tozen in 2006. Not one, but two specials with him coming up. Uh, one on Eurosport that aired yesterday, Jonathan, Jonathan Ray, a year to remember, and now um, he's getting another BBC special in BBC Northern Ireland. And I'll be on the iPlayer as well next week to check that out as he's well. Um, he's, he's an MBE you know, in the Queen's honours list as well. He is the face of British bike riding now. I think undisputedly, he is the guy that is carrying us forward. And, as an ambassador for the series and as an ambassador for bike racing, I can't think of a better guy than Jonathan Ray. I mean, the, or the greatest world superbike season in history. I mean, 16 wins last season. Absolutely outrageous. And this is, again, half of those, he started from like probably the third row, given the reverse grid rule, and he was still able to get it done. Um, he's incredible. He's impossible to bring down. He's impossible to stop. Um he he is he is spearheaded this series and and, and taken for, taking it forward with gusto. He is fantastic, and you can't say any more than that. Jonathan Ray, the face of World Superbikes, a tremendous talent, and yeah, for for us at least for us, I mean, not only Motorsport One Hundred and One Athlete of the Year, but our Bike Live Rider of the Year as well, because he is he is beyond words. He is brilliant. Uh, Five hundred and fifty-six points was his total tally for the season. The new record he said that was out of a possible six hundred and fifty for the entire year. Um, that, that Jonathan Ray picked up um, and you know the, many of the points that he didn't pick up weren't even his fault I mean he would have been on the podium had he not 
um, suffered a tyre failure at, at Donington as well um, in that first race. Um, he was taken out of the second race in Magni Corps by Eugene Laverty's crash to Prilia, um, when he might well have won that second race, given how he's, uh, he's often done in race twos this year as well. Um, but as I mentioned at the top, Drake, this rule change, this reverse grid rule change was essentially designed to stop Jonathan Ray winning as often as he did in previous years. And some of those showcases in race twos this year were, were incredible. I mean, Thailand race two, he went from the back of the third row to the lead in a lap and a half. Um, Donington, I mean, how do you beat Tom Sykes around Donington? Jonathan Ray proved it by going from ninth to first in a lap and one corner. Um, on that second race yeah. at Donington Park. Um, and towards the end of the season, he was winning races by several seconds. He wasn't just winning them um, in close fights with Chaz or with Sykes. He was just dominating them. And he's a, he's a rider much like Mark Marquez in MotoGP, who has no obvious weakness now. Because in previous years, you could say about Jonathan Ray, well, yeah, he's great, but you can't beat Tom Sykes over one lap. But you can't even level that at him now. No, he's, he's, he's an equal match for him in Super Bowl qualifying as well. He, he can start those races from pole and make his life even easier. <laughs> yeah, there is no conceivable weakness in Jonathan Ray's game or Superbikes now. He can now win anywhere and everywhere. That is proven. I don't think there's a race on the calendar now he hasn't won at. Um, well, before the obviously the 2018 calendar things are bringing back races like Renault, but he like this year basically on the modern calendar we now know he's won on every single Grand Prix. It, um, it is ridiculous. He has no weakness. He has no real. He has no real flaw as a rider. He is untouchable. It's as simple as that. Yeah, he is. He is absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, please vote for him. Uh, like, even if he makes the top three in the sports personality of the year, I'll be delighted. For I'll him. take yeah. it. Just to see him get that on-stage recognition um, in Liverpool on Sunday night um, would be absolutely magnificent for him and for the sport, a sport that essentially belongs to him now uh, in World Superbikes. Mm. Um, Jonathan Ray, our Bike Live Rider of the Year um, for 2017. Um, our full roll of honour then um, for our awards this year our team of the year Monster Yamaha Tech 3 our blonde moment of the year goes to British Superbikes for letting the third race at Silverstone go ahead our battle of the year is Marquez versus Davizioso our ride of the year was Jake Dixon at Old Park our most improved rider was Andrea Davizioso our moment of the year was Marquez's save of the century in Valencia the loser of the year congratulations to him Jorge Lorenzo our race of the year was Australia Phillip Island MotoGP and our rider of the year Jonathan Ray uh, for 2017. And that brings us to the end of Bike Live um, for 2017. Don't worry, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. So around New Year's Day, uh, we'll be back for episode 43. But thank you to everyone who has been with us um, throughout 2017 here on our first year of Motorsport 101. We've loved bringing each and every episode to you uh, on this show um, throughout the year and look forward to doing more of the same um, next year as well. So thank you to all of you who have joined us. And our debut year on our new platform. Um, between now and Christmas, though, um, one more episode of Motorsport 101 to come. Um, it's episode 117 coming next week. And um, without putting you on the spot, Drake, I don't know if you've even began to think of what's coming up next year, uh, next week yet for this one. But um, hey, Christmas special, yo. Yeah, Christmas special. Um, we're gonna try and talk about motorsport as little as possible, like because goddamn it, I want to. I want the off season to come now and smack me in the face like a wet fish. Um, yeah, like we'll, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit about Williams drama, some of the BMW announcements, like hey, Antonio Felix da Costa's back. That's always fun. 
um, and, all, and all that fun stuff. So, um, yeah, we're going to inevitably talk about that. That's bound to be fun. Um, we're inevitably talking about, about the darts as well because me and Hoshi are well, yeah. well into it. This this obviously the first week of that as well. Most likely come up in the Keeping It 101 somewhere. And we'll probably look at that Autosport Top 50 as the names yes. start to trickle in on that one. I know um, today was with the Sergio Perez is number 16 on that list, which is an eyebrow raise to say the least. But um, by the time we get to that, hopefully the full list will be out by then. And if not, I'll buy us off the Borrow Kings Autosport Premium account for that one. Cheers, game. Um, but yeah, episode 117, our final episode of 2017 will be next week. And just would like to say as well, on behalf of everyone that's listened on Bike Live this year, just to echo what Lewis has said, thank you all so much for listening over 8,000 plays in our first year in Motorsport 101. We're thankful for everybody that's taken part, um, everyone that's just listened as well. Shout out to us all to Greg Haynes and Chaz Davis, our interviews we had at the start of the year as well um and on behalf of me and lewis and bex as well, obviously merry christmas to everybody as well if this is the only show you listen to because this will be our last show 2017 so um thanks everyone for listening it's been it's, it's been a real blast to be on to be on Motorsport one i'm so delighted to have this show as part of the network now and it's been an absolute blast doing it with lewis as always this year yeah, thank mm-hmm. you to you dre we've had, we've had a blast in 2017 thank you to all of you for listening we will see you again in 2018 this uh 2017 motorcycle racing season has been certainly my favorite that we've ever covered um a brilliant year for jonathan ray as he uh, set new standards in world Superbikes. a motor gp season that none of us will ever forget um quality racing in british shores as well it has been a year to remember um in motorcycle racing in 2017 we only hope that 2018 can be even close um as good as how 2017 has been we look forward to your company in the new year but until then for myself and dre it's merry christmas and thank you for listening we'll see you in 2018 Thank you.